0: Before the KGB, there was the NKVD in the 30s that was responsible for murdering hundreds of thousands of people.
1: Like the pogroms and stuff? No,
0: no, no. Pogroms were uh, ethnic, uh, anti-Jewish for the most part. Right, Right. No, this was the great terror during the 1930s that Stalin launched against real and imagined opponents in order to bring the country completely to its knees.
1: Mr. David Satter, welcome back,
0: sir. Hi, Julian.
1: It has been a long, long nine-plus months since you've been in here, but you were here right when, right after the invasion happened, maybe a couple weeks, and I think it's fair to say there are a lot more people in America now who are aware of Ukraine and the importance it plays and basically like the middle of the map over there and... And thanks to our episode, which did get a lot of clips to go viral, which was pretty cool, people are now somewhat aware of your story as well.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that and uh there's certainly a lot to talk about uh and the the crisis isn't over in fact, in some ways it may be just beginning
1: yeah that's that's a scary thought for a lot of people but for those who didn't have a chance to hear you in episode 92, can you just give a quick background on your career and your history working over in Russia and Ukraine?
0: Well, I was the Moscow correspondent of the London Financial Times, but I, was, uh, I served in that capacity during the Soviet period, and I, in fact, reported from Russia uh, at the height of the Soviet Union's power. The Soviet Union at that time was really probably the most powerful uh, military uh, force in the world. And uh, they had uh, thousands and thousands of tanks in the middle of Europe that were poised at any minute to uh, uh, overwhelm Western Europe. But uh, after I left the Soviet Union, and that was a long time ago, that was 1982, I began to write a book about the Soviet Union, which turned into a book about the fall of the Soviet Union. And in one way or another, I've been writing about Russia ever since. I've written books about the fall of the Soviet Union, about uh, the rise in Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union, of the criminal state there. I've written about the apartment bombings that brought Putin to power, and I've written about the Russian people and the the psychology of the place, mm. and of course, the events that led up to the present Ukraine war.
1: Very quickly, can you just give a little bit of context <clears throat> on the 1999 apartment bombings? Because again, for the people who didn't hear last time, this was really the story that made you you because you were the only Western reporter to blow the whistle on
0: what Putin did. So can you just explain that background a little bit? Well, this is, this is the point. This is the most important event uh, in Russian post-Soviet history because the country was totally corrupt. And uh, Putin was appointed by Yeltsin, who was totally corrupt. And uh, Yeltsin lived in fear that he and his family would be criminally prosecuted. And Putin was put in place in order as prime minister in order to guarantee that that didn't happen. And they blew up apartment buildings in the middle of the night and killed hundreds of people. In fact, they, they're, they're, they're lucky they, that a, a, a bomb placed in a building in Riazan, a city southeast of Moscow, didn't go off because it would have been not 300 people but more like uh, 1,100 who would have been killed.
1: And they did this as a false flag to start a, this was, a war?
0: Absolutely. this was They blamed the bombings on the Chechens, who had a, a breakaway republic at the time and had defeated Russia in the first Chechen war. And uh, they launched a new invasion of Chechnya that boosted, Putin's popularity, and someone who was unknown, who had no political background, no charisma, uh, who was identified with Yeltsin, who had a popularity rating of 2%, suddenly became a national hero, because he, he, he managed to, conv- with the help of control over the information media, convince the people that, in fact, he was the defender of innocent Russian people who had been murdered in their beds by Chechen terrorists. And so, in effect, the the regime that has existed in Russia since 2000, when Putin was elected president, is an illegitimate regime. It's a regime that was put in power as a result of an act of terror against uh, the Russian people. There was an interesting quote from a man named German Ugrimov, uh Ugrimov was a high-ranking uh, official of the FSB. That's the successor organization to the KGB. And he uh, was widely attributed uh, with uh, the role of uh, organizer of those bombings. Mm. And he was quoted as saying, we had to bomb those buildings in order to put Putin into power. Who did he say that to? Uh, This is something that was circulated in the leadership of the Russian government Mm. and was reported uh, by people who had heard it. Uh, But let me tell you what the full quote is. Please. He said that we had to bomb those buildings in order to put Putin into power. How much blood are we going to have? Is going to have to be shed to remove him. Uh, and uh, within two months, Agurmov was dead. This is under, back in two
1: thousand one. Then
0: no, this was two thousand under wow. mysterious circumstances. Now, the bona fides of the quote are not something that we can absolutely confirm, but it is something that was circulating. And it's very, very plausible. But even without the quote, uh, which in fact I believe to be genuine, you know, it, what my experience as a writer is making up quotes that are that good is not not simple. Uh, by and large, something that's really that's really uh, resonant uh, was probably said by the person to whom it's attributed. Because most people don't have the imagination to just make something like that up. In fact, the exact quote was a little different. He said, uh, "We had to bomb the buildings in order to put Putin in the Kremlin. Uh, how much blood is going to have to be shed to to remove him from there?" Mm. That that that's the exact uh, quote, and that's that's uh, you know been repeated many times in the Russian internet. So it's not even a, in
1: their internet and everything.
0: Well, yeah, because they don't control everything that appears in the Russian language on in the internet. Uh, hmm. uh, and
1: um, well, our videos are banned in Russia.
0: Well, that's, you know. <laughs> that, that's that's a tribute to you, and that means that uh, the, you know some people uh, like you, like me, uh, they make a special effort to ban. But a lot of stuff circulates. They, can't, they, don't, they don't try and they're not able to control every single word. In any case, that appeared a, a fair amount of time ago and uh, in the context of articles about how many people have been killed mm. who were, in one way or another connected with Putin, connected with the FSB, connected with the apartment bombings. But the, the point is that even without that, that saying, even without that quote from gromov the evidence that they bombed those buildings themselves and used it to start a war that would put putin into pro- into power is overwhelming and incontrovertible there's you know and i've written about this
1: yeah you wrote books on it you wrote articles at the time when it was coming out basically trying to mm-hmm. red light everyone to see what was happening here and nobody listened which yeah i don't know how you're like I said this last time, but I don't know how you have such like a happy-go-lucky. I'm not sure how I don't know how (laughs) happy-go-lucky I am.
0: Maybe when I'm with you, and your example kind of uh, has an influence on me.
1: Well, that's good because you go. you, You seem to. You're very passionate about speaking on what is now a central topic in the world that took a long time to get there. But you know, you also have a lot of skin in the game because this man and his regime have killed friends of yours they they have they've affected some of your direct family they've affected your ability to even live there as you did because absolutely for context again for people who didn't hear last time you were officially banned from russia in december 2013
0: right december 2013 yeah this was actually december 24th it was christmas eve Mm. uh and since uh you know Ukraine is an orthodox country the 25th is not celebrated as christmas the mm-hmm. orthodox christmas is a little later and and as a result the embassy was open on the 25th but on the 24th the 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 diplomat in charge in the in the russian uh, consulate uh, said that we just don't have a have an authorization here and i said but look i've got i've got the the, the necessary documents uh, on me and uh, he said, I can't explain it. I said, have you ever had a situation in which uh, someone who had re- been given the necessary documents did not get a, uh, an authorization from Moscow? Said, this is the first time it's ever happened. Uh, and then I called, he advised me to call the foreign ministry, and I did call the Russian foreign ministry, and they said that I should contact a a diplomat by the name of uh Mr. Gruby I remember his last name Alex Alex Gruby yeah and in any case I called him the next day and he says I've got uh, something to read to you and uh that was a bad sign and he said that uh the rele- the competent authorities which is the term they use for the intelligence services. Is that the FSB? Yeah, the FSB, the Federal Security Agency, has decided that your presence on the territory of the Russian Federation is undesirable, and you're banned from entering the country. I was the first uh, American journalist to be expelled from Russia, to be banned from Russia, uh, since the Cold War. And I believe that, in fact, it was the Maidan revolt that was the reason for my expulsion because they had tolerated me for a long time. And the reason they did so was because they didn't want to give the impression that they were concerned by me. Mm. They wanted to give the idea that, that, well, this is a conspiracy theory. We're not going to dignify it with an answer. Uh, but uh, after my done, they decided that was a luxury they couldn't afford anymore and they wanted me out.
1: Because that was when... I'm going to forget the names, but that was when they were the Ukrainian people were trying to push out the president, who was basically a Putin puppet, and then they uh, did.
0: Yeah, I mean, up to a point, it's Viktor Yanukovych. He was the president. Uh, he was an elected president, but he was thoroughly corrupt, and uh, there was no law in Ukraine. And he had he had uh, used his position to amass an enormous private private uh, fortune and the country was very poor and uh he had promised or he had indicated that he was going to apply to the European Union for uh membership for Ukraine in the EU I mean in, in he was going to seek an invitation and uh, at a conference in Vilnius where it was expected that that would happen it didn't happen and that uh and there was no indication of when or even whether it would ever happen and that uh that was a huge disappointment to ukrainians who looked to the west looked to the european union for the possibility of a better life a life without corruption without lawlessness
1: had there been some sort of agreement i'm just curious about this had been there had there been some sort of a contingency agreement upon the dissolution of the soviet union that ukraine like, we know it was like, okay, Ukraine's not going to join NATO, but was there any type of handshake agreement that they weren't going to look to join the EU or other organizations as well? Well,
0: there was nothing that said that they wouldn't join NATO either. Uh, the uh, And certainly nothing uh, that uh, – no agreement to uh, not to join the mm-hmm. European Union. There was a lot of pressure from Russia on this score, but Ukraine never agreed to that. Mm, got it. So
1: that <clears> whole <throat> thing is what initially launched Putin's taking of Crimea in 2014, which I think we talked about as well. So,
0: the- Well, I think that Putin t- took Crimea for a very specific reason, in order to distract the attention of the Russian people from the Maidan revolt. Mm. The thing is that he, there were 200, 300,000 people on the street in Kyiv.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I saw it, I was there. Uh, and uh, Putin had to be afraid, especially after the protests in 2011 in Moscow that took place after the falsification of parliamentary elections, that the example of what happened uh, in Kiev could be imitated in Moscow, and it was imperative from his point of view to to change the conversation, to switch uh, the attention of the Russian people from the 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 example of of a self-organizing democratic anti-corruption movement in Ukraine to uh, the restoration of Russian greatness, so-called, mm. which he best achieved by seizing Crimea. And it worked. And it worked. Uh, the, the Russian public as a whole uh, stopped paying attention to what was happening on the street in Kiev and uh, gave itself over to, to mass euphoria over the annexation of crimea and the uh idea that russia's greatness is being restored so the
1: majority of the people were very very in favor of that
0: absolutely and it uh, it uh pushed putin's popularity uh to if i'm not wrong 82 percent
1: is that number real or is that inflated Unfortunately, it's probably real. Wow, wow. So that, but again, that's a while ago now. And so you, we can fast forward to get to the present day, and and we'll. I I love your context of history that you have because you effectively were in that country from 1976 when it was still the USSR until 2013, 2014. You spend a lot of time to this day in Eastern Europe on the circuit, especially now. So there's a lot of context we can add. But you talk about. Having some sort of – not not a stalemate, but Putin effectively takes this land, changes the narrative as you lay out, and then we have seven and a half, eight years where it's kind of status quo <coughs> like that for the most part.
0: Well, not entirely because they also invaded eastern Ukraine. The Donbass region. Yeah, in the Donbass region, there was a war going on, and that war never ceased.
1: And did that happen – I think you did say this last time. I just can't remember. Did that happen at around the same time where they did the bulletless takeover of Crimea?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it came almost immediately afterward and uh there was heavy fighting there which uh eventually uh settled into trench warfare yes. and a stalemate.
1: Right. So outside, up until
0: up until of course the February 24th invasion.
1: But outside of that argued over region where they were fighting. The rest of the actual situation, including business of the land, as far as natural gas flowing through Ukraine, into Europe, stuff like that, that was all somewhat status quo. And then Putin decides to come into the the country on, I guess, February 22nd. 24th. 24th of 2022. Yeah. So let's start here. Where today, as you understand it, where do things stand in Ukraine? How much – like obviously the 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 people of Ukraine have put up a very valiant fight. This has not been something where Putin was just able to come in and run train and take over, which I think it seems like he expected that, and that was not the case. But where like strategically on the ground – because again, you were just over in Prague and, and meeting with different people who are aware of the situation. Like where, where are things right now and how how positive does it look for – Ukraine to continue to hold their lines?
0: Well, the Russians have withdrawn from Kherson in the south. So and that was the last major city that they had taken. So they're, they're not in, in control of any major cities. I'll put that map in the corner of the screen. For but people. there's a, a lot of territory that they still occupy. And of course, they occupy Crimea. And they occupy large sections of the eastern Ukraine, which is what they annexed before. Annexed in the sense that they they took over and created these little statelets, the Donetsk People's Republic, the Lugansk People's Republic, and so on. Uh, right now, the, the Russians are not making any progress against the Ukrainian army, but they're trying to Entrench themselves in the occupied territory, and then rain destruction on the civilian uh, economy of, of of Ukraine, which means the population as well. Bombing uh, el- electrical stations, infrastructure, mm. uh, anything that that uh, heating plants, anything that that can be done to 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 inflict misery on the population and death. And uh, in that way, force Ukraine to submit and submission would take the form of not contesting those areas that the Russians have seized and that they still occupy and where their troops are dug in.
1: Well, there's an incredible amount of, as I think with any war, but especially in a modern day war with the Internet, there's there's an incredible amount of propaganda online and it does come from different directions and i understand why ukraine would have to take part in some of that if it's like fighting fire with fire it's just a shitty part of war i guess but you know i find myself when i'm researching on the war and and trying to figure out exactly what's going on assuming that nothing i see is is the full story right away and that makes it difficult because there are a lot of narratives out there but one of the things that is really a narrative that's starting to take over in the us that i wonder how much of it is is actually based on what the people here are thinking versus what they're being told to think which i don't know the balance there but the thing that's happening in the us is we're we're starting to have a lot of people question the amount of money flowing to ukraine and for context ukraine has roughly i think it's like a 225 billion dollar annual gdp prior to the war i'm sure it's lower given that the war is going on but we have given at this point i believe 12 figures worth of money in less than a year to the country and so when i look at this and especially when i've had some of the cia guys in here like bustamante especially him with this and and jim lawler as well in discussing it it seems to me like zelensky and the ukrainian government are effectively, a in the midst of them getting invaded and needing help to fight against that invasion, which the rest of the world does care about, they're effectively becoming somewhat of a client state to the U.S. Do you think that's fair to say?
0: Well, I mean, they're totally dependent on the shipments of arms to defend themselves. If they didn't have that, uh, they could not defend themselves because Russia... Started the war with a far greater arsenal mm. uh, than than Ukraine, but that you know to be a client state that means that that we determine everything that they do or most of what they do, and that's yes. not the case.
1: Hey guys, got an important announcement for you and it's pretty exciting. We officially launched a Clips channel on YouTube. The page is called Julian Dory Clips and you can find it by going to the current show page, clicking the channels tab and it's right below there. Please, please, please go over and subscribe. We're posting daily clips from the episodes of the show and hopefully it's going to help this thing grow. Anyway, if you haven't already, please be sure to share this episode around on social media and with your friends. I say it all the time, and I will keep saying it because it is very, very true. Sharing the show is the best possible thing we can possibly get because it spreads the word, it helps the algorithm big time, and it gets us out there so that we can continue to get great guests like this and even level up and make this show as great as possible. So thank you to all of you who have been sharing the show around, and thank you to all of you who are going to do it now. If you haven't already subscribed and liked the video... Please be sure to do that, and I would love to hear from you guys down in the comments below. Finally, if you haven't left a five-star review on Spotify or Apple, please take a second and do that. It's a huge, huge help, and I appreciate everyone who has already done so. I almost forgot. We are, in fact, working on a Patreon. Finally, we should have something live within the next month or two, and I will let you know as soon as that is up and running. Can't wait.
0: I think that what's happening is that the United States, for its own reasons and in its own interest, is creating, is trying to help Ukraine defend itself. Because we're, we, you know, we defend the principle of non-aggression and respect for territorial boundaries, not just in, in this case, but all over the world. So, uh, and the world has an interest in a rules-based international order in which people understand that that aggression is unacceptable. And it's that understanding that preserved the peace uh as a rule in Europe since nineteen forty five. So uh we're so in effect what we're doing is we're depend we're by giving arms to Ukraine, we're defending the world order on which we ourselves depend. We're not losing any lives. They're the ones losing the lives, and they're suffering terribly. But at the same time, uh, we're uh, providing what we can provide much more easily, which is uh, equipment, uh, military aid, ammunition, weapons, the things that make it possible for them to stand up to an aggressor and in the process reinforce stability for everyone.
1: So... When I look at this from a high level and try to figure out potential outcomes here because everyone would like to see world peace. We know that doesn't exist. But when situations like this break out, getting it to a point where things are put back into order and and lives can be saved is, is always a priority of people. But to me, it does seem like. There is an awful lot of pushing down on any suggestion that there is intelligence that suggests that there could be some piece on the table. And to expand upon what I mean by that, there was a letter that we've talked about on this show now in at least like three or four episodes. But there was a letter that the Progressive House Caucus wrote to Biden yep. in a few months ago and it was leaked, which means you know they probably purposely leaked that thing out of some fear, but the implication of the letter was they wanted to reiterate they're huge supporters of Ukraine, and they do not want to see Ukraine take a loss, and they would like Russia to be put back in in their place. That said, their understanding is that there was intelligence to suggest that Russia would be willing to come to the table where we could get some sort of solution where ukraine does not get the lines are redrawn back to pre-february 24th and we get some peace because again in addition to ukraine the world is dealing with the fact that russia is a major nuclear power who has a leader who's a sociopath and also doesn't look long for this world with his health we can talk about that later but you know people get worried that some crazy shit could go down so Do you think that there has been a little bit too much call for just complete Russian blood as opposed to a little bit of, say, common sense to get Ukraine a W? Maybe not the W that like Russia still does exist afterwards. They're not like gone off the face of the earth, but at least now there's support and there's precedent such that there's an understanding that if Russia dares sends another missile into Ukraine, the world will act.
0: That's complicated the situation here because uh, if if we make peace with Russia on Russia's terms, in other words, if we pressure Ukraine, we could say, Leo, you know, just a hypothetical situation, yeah. we're going to c- cut off the money, the weapons. You have to make peace. I mean, that's what happened with the South Vietnamese. We cut off the weapons to them, and they were in nineteen seventy. Five, I think it was, and they were overwhelmed by the North Vietnamese. They couldn't continue. And in fact, we cut off the weapons in Afghanistan too, because yeah. we removed the contractors who are critical to servicing them. But uh, let's say we made that threat to Ukraine. We, you know, we're going to pull out, you have to accept Russian terms. Uh, then that doesn't serve our goal of reinforcing the principle that you cannot serve, seize territory by force turns out you can and not only that but we're endorsing it uh you, you you know it doesn't matter in this case that maybe russia will you know pull back from a couple of critical places the idea that they've taken this territory in an unprovoked attack and that uh, they're able to keep it after committing war crimes, massacring civilians, raining down destruction on civilian in- infrastructure. I mean, that's not a precedent that we want to, in- that's not uh, something that we want to encourage. The other thing is, uh, as, and this goes back to the question of a warning, you know, if you send one missile, then all hell's going to break loose. Well, I'm not sure that Russians believe that. I'm not sure that uh, but the one way to make those those threats credible is to uh, is to defeat them and uh, uh, create a situation in which they understand that uh, peace is better because you have nothing to gain from war
1: so but if we were able to draw the lines to pre february twenty fourth And basically force them to retreat and also add into any deal that there is a renewed reinforced protection of Ukraine against any future funny business. Wouldn't that be some sort of a win considering that as things stand right today, though Ukraine has fought valiantly and not lost the war at all and they're they're doing a good job, they, they have lost some land, you know, they've lost 10, 20 percent of land and they would be able to get that back and get the Russians the hell out of their country. Wouldn't that be pretty solid?
0: I think it. Le- that means that they're basically uh, Russian aggression is not punished, that uh, they've, they've started a war, they've killed tens of thousands of people and uh, they haven't paid any price for it. Uh, they've merely evacuated territory you know if indeed they would evacuate territory that they seized uh uh illegally anyway i mean if if we go back to the february twenty fourth lines uh we you know in other words it's just as if the war had never taken place that means there's no punishment for the war well what uh,
1: about what just to devil's advocates there what about the fact that a there are continuing financial implications and world trade implications that we correctly put on them and b they also i mean putin has sent a lot of russian let's call it what it is borderline kids 18 19 year olds untrained into this war who have died yeah who don't even know why they're there i mean that is a
0: price too it's it's not just like it's a price in human terms but in terms of the Russian leadership it's not important they literally don't care well, that's uh, sick. they are I mean and this is what's so frightening about them they will sacrifice they will sacrifice those young men uh, without limit yeah. uh, and in fact Putin himself recently made a statement in which he said, that uh, Russians are willing to sacrifice everything for their motherland. Uh, This is something the West doesn't understand. Well, the real meaning of that statement is that I'm ready to sacrifice all Russians for my welfare. But uh, uh, it's, of course, not phrased that way. So that price doesn't worry them. Uh, As for the sanctions, uh, the sanctions could be significant over a long period of time but they in and of themselves will not uh force russia to give up the remaining territory and they will not uh prevent russia from starting a new new war at the earliest opportunity
1: i think the big thing that comes across to me in the the fear there mm-hmm. is not necessarily you know like if you looked at russia with their gdp for example that which we know of yeah you know it's the size of italy it's it's big but it's not it's not anything like china or something like that the the fear is that you have a dictator who has been president forever right just yeah, the constitution know. and that dictator one thing they do have is they got a hell of an arsenal of nuclear weapons and that just makes people for all the right reasons i might add very fearful of like Poking the bear and everything so maybe the maybe a better question that I the way I could have asked it is is do you have to take into account the safety of the rest of the world over say a couple of the immediate issues in Ukraine just to make sure that we avoid D-Day like a a bad kind of D-Day like a nuclear kind of D-Day.
0: Well, I think, of course, we have to take into account the interests of the whole world, but the interest of the world is best served, I think, and I think uh, many many would agree, by, by not rewarding aggression uh, and making sure that the conditions no longer exist for a renewal of the conflict. Uh, it, Russia fought the first Chechen war. And they pulled out. They even pulled out in the end ahead of time. But it When was, was that? This was in 1996 with a pullout. The war began on New Year's Eve uh, 1994. And uh, even though they signed a peace treaty with Chechnya, uh, three years later, they bombed the buildings and launched a new attack. Uh, claiming of course, they were defending themselves against attack, yes, so you know it's possible that 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 we could buy a couple of of years of peace, but the basic problem would not have been settled, that which is the right of Russia to dominate its neighbors and seize their territory.
1: Yeah, it's it it really it's one of those situations where it feels like you're looking at losses all around. It, like you're kind of stuck, like you're a gambler at a table a little bit. And that's not the fault of in this case the world. I mean, Russia's the one who did the invasion, but I I get worried that I mentioned it a few minutes ago, so maybe maybe we can we can even talk about this now, but Yo. According to intelligence reports, and also if you use your eyes a little bit, you can kind of see it. Not that that is all the answers, but you know, Putin doesn't look like he's in good health. It is, he did confirm that he had cancer in 2015 or 2016 or 2017, somewhere in there at least. He had told Oliver Stone that, and Oliver Stone also quickly confirmed that it had returned. About six months ago, we see the videos of Putin holding the table. I'll put that in the corner where he's, where he's like holding on for dear life and shaking. It appears there's some elements of like a Parkinson's-like disease there. Mm-hmm. And it lines up with the fact that he did a crazy, clearly not well-planned invasion when all this is going on. And it makes you think like, okay, narcissistic, sociopathic dictator type wants to leave his legacy. You mentioned it earlier, talking about like a renewed, restored Russia You know, does that mean that someone like that could also say, fuck it and try to take everyone with him when things aren't going his way because he's not going to be here long anyway?
0: Well, that's a worry uh, that he could behave recklessly. As for his health, uh, we don't have any confirmation of that. Uh, And uh, I personally don't consider Oliver Stone a very good source. But – I think that there are more actors here than Putin himself. I mean, to launch a nuclear attack definitely requires the cooperation of, yes. of of other people, not all of whom would be enchanted by the idea of starting a nuclear war over the annexation of a strip of Ukraine. So... um. Of course, you know, they will do everything they can to scare us with that. And they're and and it and we're right to be scared because there's aspects of the situation we don't control. But you know, we also have nuclear weapons. We have, you know, it's if 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 he's going to take the whole go down and take the whole world with him, uh you know, that means there's even more reason to somehow try to get him out of there and 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 bring about a change in russia and the most important agent for doing that is 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 de- military defeat yeah because that would that would break the the chain the the connection between lying propaganda horrendous military losses foreign aggression and the sense on the part of ordinary russians that uh uh, their country by 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 brutalizing others is returning to former greatness.
1: Right. Well, how how realistic do you think it is? Let, let's assume Putin's healthy and great. How realistic do you think it is to remove him from power at any time? We soon? don't
0: know. Uh, we don't know what uh, what's going on. We don't know who in the leadership. I mean, that's the best chance that people in the leadership would insist on his leaving power and or conspire against him. But they, you know, they're all, uh, they're informers everywhere and uh, people are spying on each other. No one can be sure that if he begins to organize a conspiracy that it will stay secret for long. So, uh, you know, oftentimes dictators in this type of situation hold on for, for decades
1: is there any type of real picture or better picture now as opposed to the last time we talked as to, let's say, candidates of individuals who might replace him in that event? Or do we really have still no
0: idea? We can speculate. I don't think we really have a clear idea. I think yeah. it could be someone in the end who is very unknown to us.
1: And it's scary because – I mean, you assume it gets better with whoever replaces them. At that's least a little bit. That's not necessarily
0: but, true. Yeah, but I don't think it would get a great deal worse. I think we're we're <laughs> touching we're touching the bottom.
1: Well, that's the campaign for the war. It can't get worse than this.
0: <laughs> no, it it you know if they use nuclear weapons, which they could do, yeah, to stave off defeat, uh, it will get worse. But what's the alternative? The alternative is uh, you know for us basically to allow them to win and then create the conditions for a new war
1: i think and that's where that catch 22 comes in you and i may have touched on this but it comes up in some podcasts where no one wants to be neville chamberlain no of course you know but also what is then you get in this situation where it's like well what is a real hitler situation versus what is one where it's like okay there's i mean
0: can can putin be negotiated with Yes. can he is he reasonable will he accept will he accept uh, a fair solution well all indications are he's not and he won't
1: but if there were if that did change it should be looked at as a possibility to keep those lines of communication open to to try to get a peaceful solution
0: they are adept at 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 suggesting things they know are non-starters. For example, they say, well, let's negotiate. We're ready to negotiate an end to the war. Uh, What they don't say uh, is that we're ready, is that this negotiation is uh, intended to allow them to keep the occupied territories.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that does bother me at this point, because it's it's difficult to defend, as someone who has... For a long time been fascinated with the the rise of Vladimir Putin and was at least somewhat aware of of the downsides of him You know that wasn't widely talked about by a lot of people before this war It kind of was less of an issue which was part of the problem you had, but you know It's getting harder for me to defend some of the theatrics that you see coming out of the Ukraine side and I have no doubt that there is Propaganda arms who want to make sure everyone like me sees that coming out of Russia so that that we can turn the tide and suddenly not be rooting for Ukraine. But what I'm wondering is why is – why are they parading Zelensky to do things like a Vogue cover shoot or to have Sean Penn come in there and give him a fucking Oscar trophy? Like these types of things make people think at home like, what is this? I thought this is a war. We're doing cover shoots? Like why why is there – Why is the Western media so obsessed with almost pushing this reality TV narrative on what on top of what is a very, very real war and kind of taking away from what's actually happening?
0: I think the Ukrainians are very concerned to maintain popular support in the West and anything that they think will make them more popular, uh, they will definitely be in favor of whether they do it. In a in a very intelligent and effective way or not is another question. Yeah, maybe, maybe they don't.
1: I think that's the issue.
0: It's very tough. It's very tough. I mean, they aren't. They don't know. You know, they're dependent on a country that they don't really understand and don't know very well. Hang on, I think that this. Oh, did that go out? Came out. Let's just put it back in.
1: Yep, and then All twist right. it.
0: Can Hold you hear on, it I now? No, I. Now I hear you. Great. There we go. Hold I just on.
1: usually tuck it in the side of my chair right there. So don't yeah. go Yeah, okay.
0: No, that's fine. That makes a big difference. You were just getting a little a little uh, faded on me.
1: Oh, all right. Well, I'm glad we, we got you right back there in the <laughs> earphones. But on, on staying on this topic, do, sure. you, do you think – As we move – as the calendar moves into 2023, we're recording this a few days ahead of time, and this is going to be the first episode that we put out of the year where we're coming up on – in a month and a half, Mm -hmm. call it. We're coming up on the one-year mark, and you had mentioned very early on when we were talking that this is the kind of thing that has the makings of something that could go on for years. Do you think that we are going to see any talks that are in the realm of – trying to remove that Russian aggression, punish them for it, and actually get a solution here where there's not civilians dying on the ground every day? Or do you think that's very unrealistic to see this year?
0: Uh, I don't don't know. Uh, A lot's going to depend on the... There's so many imponderables here. We don't know the effect of Western sanctions on the Russian economy. We don't know how much ammunition the Russians have left. They've been expanding it at, a, it at a fantastic rate. We don't know what how the Russian people will, will react to these horrendous casualties. I heard a story that gives you an idea of just how bad it is. In Belgorod, which is a town in Russia but on the border with Ukraine, there's a big railroad yard and a lot of freight cars and uh, people in the area are complaining that the that the smell from those railroad cars is becoming unbearable, and mm. there these are the bodies of Russian soldiers that have just been Ugh. just been dumped dumped dumped. They they aren't even the Russians aren't even collecting the 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 the, 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 the they're dead and wounded. Yeah. So, uh, how long will the Russian population? You know, agree to this, how long will the U.S. continue to embargo or weapons that could hit Russian territory that would have the capacity to take out those points that are bombarding Ukraine right now? Yeah. How long uh, will it be before the West uh, begins to really answer Russian propaganda seriously by, for example telling the truth about the apartment bombings and demonstrating to the Russian people that uh, the Putin regime is their enemy as well as the enemy of the Ukrainians. Uh, these are all questions we don't have answers for right now. Do you have any source,
1: I'm curious, do you have any sources who are telling you what if, if there is some serious dissenting sentiment on the ground in Russia right now? That's, that's growing, or is that also just totally unknown?
0: Well, we know that the population is becoming more skeptical. Mm. We know that. Polls show that P- Putin still has about 74% support. Now, that's with the benefit of state television, which is yeah. the chief source of information, which knows how to act on the emotions and, and uh, prejudices of the Russian people. But still, that's a very high level. And uh, especially after all these casualties, after all the obvious lying, after the mobilization announcement. But still, I think that, uh, you know, Russia is organized like a movement. It's much more than a, like a normal country. And a, a country organized like a movement is already always ready to go and attack somebody. mm and that's one of the things we have to deal with. That's one of the things Ukraine has to deal with for its long-range security. Uh, I'm hoping that the factors will begin to create pressure on the Russian leadership to stop what they're doing. It's going to take resolution, both in terms of supplying arms, which NATO is willing to do. And uh, Wait, what well, was
1: that? It's going to take a resolution of supplying arms.
0: Resolution in terms of supplying arms to Ukraine.
1: Oh right, I, you know, I misheard which, you. You right. know,
0: so that they this so we we will not lose lose heart, will not lose determination. But it it's it's going to take uh, you know really, the effort of an entire society. And by this I mean Western society to bring this to an end. Uh just as a simple example a lot of the green activists a lot of the climate change activists are very much uh against any expansion of the production of fossil fuels but But this is how we need to we need to wean countries off of Russian oil and gas mm. We can't do that if we don't expand our production now you know the political pressure not to do that. Is paid for with the lives of Ukrainian soldiers.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like you're in a position where you got to make, you got to make some, some sacrifices of your beliefs, even in the short term. You're saying I, I, I yeah, and that. and yeah.
0: of course we have to be ready to to accept economic hardship, which is the hardest thing of all, especially for for comfortable Americans and Western Europeans and that's what
1: Yeah, good luck selling that.
0: Yeah, I know it's it's not easy. It's not easy, but and it's certainly not easy if people don't see the underlying point.
1: I think it's way different when you have something you talk about like economic hardships and you and you see let's even say from a rationing perspective for example the the sacrifices that Americans made in World War II, say that's one where a the whole world is actually involved on the battlefield, and b so are we. You know, our own people are there too. It's yeah. very hard when you don't have. And I'm. And by the way, I, I give Biden a ton of credit for not putting boots on the ground there, because I, I I think that would turn into a world war, and I think that's disastrous. But you know, we don't have that, and so there's there is this it's over there sentiment that is going to be a part of that conversation. Regardless of how much a guy like you knows or other people who really know the implications here try to pound the table and say, no, 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 but you don't understand. People are going to vote with their wallets. They're going to be concerned about their way of life, and it's not just in America. It's in other places too. So when we're talking about making sacrifices around the world, I don't think politicians are going to be able to sell that because their people are going to vote them out of office if
0: they do. Well, that. This, is, uh, this is the problem, and uh, so the next best thing is to ship weapons. Yeah. Which, which do make a difference and allow the Ukrainians uh, to do the fighting, and they do the, die, the dying, which is one of the reasons why Zelensky is so insistent. Yeah. And it maybe even shows what Americans see as a lack of gratitude, because the way he sees it, uh, the way we see it, we're giving him weapons. The way he sees it, uh, they're sacrificing, li- sacrificing lives,
1: and that's that's a very fair way of putting it, in my opinion, because that's – a, I mean, his every day that this war is going on, as the leader of his country, he is losing his citizens. Of course. That's just the nature of it, and, and I think and, people and, have to understand and people that. people
0: are being bombed and uh, are experiencing terrible hardship, and being subjected to war crimes. So, of course, he doesn't think that just the supplying of weapons is such an extraordinary thing, Sure, particularly insofar as – the ukrainians are fighting for our principles not just theirs
1: yeah and i think it's you know it feels it feels oddly reminiscent like obviously the russian government is in an order of doing business a different side of the coin and in a negative way also as well though oh, than no. it was with the ussr it was a different type of politics back then however it feels similar in a parallel way to that iron curtain that descended where you, you kind of have two – not even political but like way of life ideologies at battle here. And the proxy war in the middle of it is the fact that it's the Ukrainians who are on the battlefield right. being victimized by it and yeah. the Russian citizens who are losing their lives who are conscripted to go fight in this war.
0: Yeah, I mean, what you have is you've got a small criminal group in Russia that is killing both sides.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And is indifferent to their lives and their loss and the losses. I mean, even that statement that Putin made that Russians are willing to sacrifice everything for their motherland, well, that gives you an idea of uh, the extent to which he feels he has an inexhaustible uh, supply of cannon fodder in the population. Yeah. I think that's fair. I mean, but
1: on, on the other half of it, like, because this has been a situation that you've been on top of for 50 years as we've laid out almost 50 years. It's like, how much... were you following Zelensky's shift to politics, like, right when he initially started looking at it? Like, how much are you a historian of of him as well and like what what he's about and why he got into this and moved away from what was a great life i mean he was like a very successful actor and everything and got into politics like what what is it about him that that made him made the people of ukraine say oh this is our guy This, this is who we want to lead us before the war and everything
0: well there was so much corruption under poroshenko i mean poroshenko replaced yanukovych and then, then the same corrupt system uh, you know, exerted itself, and so the result was a, a rebellion against Poroshenko, and uh, Zelensky took seventy percent of the vote in the election, but conditions didn't improve all that much under Zelensky, and people said that, in fact, uh, now you know, at the before the invasion, he only had about thirty percent support.
1: Why was that?
0: Well, I think it was partially the fact that you know Ukrainians are impatient; they want to see improvements, and uh, he wasn't delivering them. And many of the same corrupt structures continued to hold sway. But uh, you know, it's another question of what he could have done, and and did he do his best? But the fact that, the fact that now he's in power, uh under conditions in which he's fighting you know, uh, an invasion and in which uh, he's the country's only hope, I mean, that changes all that calculation. Instead of, you know, when it was Poroshenko who was president and who was not solving the problems, uh, it was kind of logical that some, an outsider like Zelensky would be elected. And when he didn't solve the problems, it made sense that there was discontent with him. But when Russia attacked Ukraine and people are losing their lives and the country is, is, is being menaced and, and Zelensky took over and, and directed the effort, it's also logical that those, those pretensions uh, that discontent mm. that existed in the past is now forgotten, at least for the time being, until such time as the war is won.
1: Well, he's a wartime leader. I I, yeah. understand, I understand that. And
0: so that's, that's uh, uh, you know, both, both outcomes are logical. I mean, uh, in the sense that uh, it was logical that when the country was not at war and, you know, one problem after another uh, manifested itself, that the person in charge would be blamed it's also logical that now that the country's at war all that's forgotten because he did behave very bravely
1: yeah he stayed back you know there was the talk right away when it was going out like oh they're gonna get him out of there yeah no, well, he, of he course stayed.
0: well that and that kept the country from collapsing I mean had had you know what would there would have been guerrilla war of course but if the president had had and the you know and the government had evacuated uh the uh you know the organized resistance would not have been what it was
1: in in addition to him staying on the ground though with his people as like the leader of the country i i think another thing that sometimes gets lost in translation of like how things are working just because we hear the top line news is what what it means for his role as the head of the military every day so <coughs> You know, you had mentioned before, and I know Bustamante had talked about this on here, and Jim Diorio as well, that there's a lot of elements of on the ground civilian trench warfare going on in city streets and things like that. But what about the military organization of Ukraine? Like, is does Zelensky have a set of generals where it's 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 kind of like there's a top down? mandate but then they're all making their own military decisions or is are all major decisions coming directly through zelensky like what do we even know about well, how well ha-
0: he has to approve he has to approve the the decisions of the ukrainian general staff but i've talked to ukrainian politicians who are who are much more familiar with this than mm. i am and including members of the uh, Rada, the parliament and they say that uh, zelensky basically you know his role is to kind of you know approve the plans of the uh, the top generals and he he is not he's not a a great strategist but he puts a face on it and of course i guess when there are conflicts he has to decide but uh he doesn't have a military background. No, he was an actor. Yeah, he was an actor. So really, you know, his role in this whole situation is to, you know, on behalf of the country, to approve the, the, uh, the plans that have have, uh, have been presented to him by the military leadership, which is what he's doing. And that, that military leadership has uh, undergone quite a lot of modernization how so? Uh, well, partially they've been trained by, by NATO. the 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 Russian military is very top heavy, mm. uh, and the units uh, on the ground have much less freedom of action than would be the case uh, for a NATO country or a NATO a NATO army. Uh, the Ukrainians have been trained by NATO on the NATO model, and they're much more flexible. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, they're fighting in much smaller units. Uh, they There's much more initiative at, at lower levels of command. And it's, it's made a difference. It's made a difference. But the overall strategy, after all, that's something that has to be put together by the general staff okay. and approved by Zelensky.
1: Well, well how effective is the, – the other thing you hear about in the background on various stories is the – some of the work of the ukrainian intelligence as well who's in the middle of a war zone on on their home base here but like how that wasn't before this war i'm not going to sit here in Latvia and pretend to have known a damn thing about ukraine's intelligence apparatus but like how good are they versus how much is it they're getting a lot of resources and help from other intelligence organizations in, in western
0: powers, including the u.s yes yeah but it isn't only that I mean, remember that this is all being fought on Ukrainian territory, and yes. it's being fought on ter- in areas where people support Ukraine. Now, we could say, if we looked at the Donbass, that, me- that some of those areas that were occupied were areas that were Russian-speaking, ethnically Russian, yes. and pro-Russian. But the war now is being fought in many areas where, people ha- where the patriotic sed- sentiment is Ukrainian. And so they get, you know, they get intelligence from the population. It's not a, mm. you know, it's not a, uh, <clears throat> it's not a mystery.
1: It's a true militia type organization in that way. They're fighting for their land, and they're basically, well, of course, to and they and it. the
0: and uh, uh, and that's understood. Sure, it, that makes
1: me think of a parallel issue, though, that maybe maybe has something to do with this as far as, like, how to read the situation, or maybe doesn't, and you can fill me in. But, sure. you know, you've mentioned in our last episode and a little bit today about these Chechen wars. You had the first Chechen war, the second Chechen war, and Chechnya is a region, as you've explained, to the south of Russia that has their own sect of people who have had in the past serious disagreements with Russia and have wanted independence. But today, now call it 20 years after, say, the Second Chechen War, maintain, as I understand it, actually a relationship with Vladimir Putin and have even fought on his behalf in some, some, some some Chechens. So I guess the question there is, you know, is there the fear that that because obviously that involves leadership of Chechnya coming over to the side of Vladimir Putin? It involves perhaps some propaganda going into their people to agree that this isn't the worst thing ever, is their fear that there could be a similar sentiment shift over a five, ten-year period in
0: Ukraine as well. That's what uh, Putin and his, and his associates are hoping for and counting on, mm. uh, they, that they would there would be enough of a, a fifth column in Ukraine uh to make it possible for them to rule i mean that has not materialized so far uh outside of the the donbass and outside of crimea
1: which was the, already kind of the case as you laid out
0: yeah i mean right. the i mean we kind of knew that in yes. those places yes but the the other areas that have been invaded and 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 annexed or or, or uh taken over since february twenty fourth uh we don't have evidence of a lot of collaboration that's good at least not i mean there were there were some collaborators some of them were actually killed uh some of them fled uh but uh, uh widespread collaboration sufficient to to govern those proper those territories even if the war stopped uh So far, it's not in evidence.
1: Well, what do you think – you and I have talked at length today already about the issue of the precedent this would set if you didn't do something to combat what Russia's done. And I think for pretty much anyone listening, that's completely understandable and and a a pretty easy concept. But from a hypothetical situation, minus the precedent it would set if they did – Pull this off and say annex Ukraine, worst case scenario, something like that. What would be – if you're talking about Russia as a threat and that happened – Strategically speaking, other than the obvious of they get a big chunk of land that was on mainland Europe of a nation that was supposed to be sovereign but now isn't, like what are the major implications of that? Do you think it becomes now now Putin wants to start grabbing land across Europe and starting to, in, to invade EU nations? Or do you think it's more there's the unknown and we don't want to deal with the unknown?
0: Well, uh, under the existing circumstances – Bearing in mind the degree of Ukrainian resistance, bearing in mind the resilience of the Ukrainian nation, the chief consequence of a peace settlement on Russian terms now would be simply to reinforce the hold in power, on power, of Vladimir Putin. Mm. Because he would depict it as a victory. The Russian, pop with the help of the, propaganda on state television, the uh, Russian people would accept this explanation, and he would be in a position to launch—first of all, he, w- he would have undermined world stability yeah. with a successful invasion and land grab, But but he would be in a position also to terrorize his own people and to launch further adventures in the future. And there are other candidates—
1: And we do see that there's like – there's been an inability, as you mentioned, to turn off the – a lot of the dependence on Russian oil and natural gas that's still been in line since the war started. I mean you have – what's crazy to me is you have Ukrainian companies who are pumping natural gas from Gazprom through their country which you know they they got to make their money and, and try to keep the lights on I I totally get it but that's wild to me literally the nation who is invading them one of the oligarchs there one of the people I forget the name of the guy who runs Gazprom but like a government related rich guy individual who runs this company his nation is invading you and he's still business yeah, as usual I mean
0: the whole the problem is that this the, this complex energy infrastructure was built up around uh russian supplies yes and it's not a simple matter to disconnect it overnight no, no. even and, for the ukrainians and you well cl- exactly <clears throat> it's it's such a weird
1: that one was such a weird like conflict of interest to me but like i don't have an answer for it. i'm like oh turn it off like that's gonna crush them if they do that and then it crushes the countries well and also they need it
0: they also need the gas yes yeah they also need the gas i mean it's uh people were betting you know Ra- ronald reagan uh, when he was president warned against a, a a gas pipeline because you know gas can only move over pipelines unless it's liquefied natural yes. gas and once those pipelines are in place uh you know you're 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 attached to russia attached like an uh, the, like an umbilical cord. And when you stop by the way
1: like from a political perspective you've seen like the emphasis the EU has put on anti fossil fuels and things like that which some yeah. of that is certainly understandable you then well, when shit hits the, the
0: fan. Yeah, well here
1: you go. Now they don't have it. They don't have they don't have the capabilities.
0: Yeah, we need uh you know, if we could expand our use of fossil fuels, we can make up for some of those Russian supplies, yeah, and thereby you know make it harder for Russia to wage this war. You know, there's, there's a lot of, of I don't know how to describe it. There's a lot of infantile thinking in the West, and including in the U.S. I mean, the fact is, you know, we, I, you know, I want what I want, mm-hmm. and I don't care about the consequences, but the consequences mm. can be very serious. For other people.
1: That's well, because you're fighting for your next election. And
0: well, you don't want to cost yeah. your
1: people money now. Well, so of course. So you yeah. kick the can down the road. Well, we've seen it. No. Yeah. And we had the one of the things that happened since the last time we talked, one of the many things was you saw the Nord Stream 2 pipeline blown up. And, you know, I think I was telling you, I talked to you shortly after I recorded a, a solo podcast on that. <laughs> you know, I almost... I recorded that podcast, I put it out, and I immediately thought, like, even the possibilities I put out there were wrong. Cause I'm like, well, I see it could be one of four places. It could be Russia, it could be the US, it could be Ukraine, or maybe it could be China. And, you know, we were really zoned in on Russia and the US. And now the news is starting to trickle out that, like, they even said, like, that's not the case. Like, it appears Russia didn't do this, which I thought it might make sense for them to do it, but they didn't. And it doesn't appear like the US did it which means you know there's some it, it could be like Ukraine trying to keep the trying to keep the west on board but at the same time what's confusing to me is that there wasn't really much running through it at the time it was basically like turned off and at least for this winter based on the information i was able to review and other people can find online it appeared that the the europe western europe was going to be okay with what they had, meaning this wasn't going to affect things right away. So, you know, I I guess the question is, like, why do we have other forces at play here, like other nations who are just enjoying the chaos of what's going on and and trying to ensue some sort of uh, distrust among the people on both sides of this issue, be it Russia, be it the United States and the West?
0: Hard hard to imagine. I think that it probably was Russia who blew up their own pipeline, but they did it in a way uh, that would uh, they hoped would affect the market, but would not, you know, permanently. Uh, they didn't want to take a step that would be uh, uh, irreversible. What's
1: the upside to them? Do, like that's what I couldn't figure out. I couldn't, Just a I couldn't, warning,
0: the warning, the warning the West of their vulnerability.
1: Because I couldn't think of a ton of upsides. There aren't
0: the- a lot of. Uh, upsides, but we you know, we have to begin to think the way they think
2: and uh, what's that? we're
0: thinking this is the problem when Westerners try to think rationally and mm. they they operate always from their perspective. but Russians oftentimes are very keen akin- remember this is you know, Russia is the country of the psychological novel mm. it's a country in which uh with the you know with the national game is chess. Russians uh, think ahead and they think in terms of psychology in a way that we don't.
1: Can you explain that?
0: Well, for example, I mean, they they will act not to achieve a specific concrete effect, but to have a psychological impact.
1: Like a mind games type thing you're saying?
0: Yeah. Huh. That actually, that makes a ton of sense.
1: Because that would make sense with, you know... Some of the things they do to to sow even with,
0: even if we go back to the apartment bombings, uh you know does it make sense to bomb your own people? uh no, unless you're trying to change the psychology yes. of the country right and create a completely different atmosphere. I mean, an American wouldn't think of doing something like that.
1: Cue the conspiracy theorists in the comments on that one. Yeah, well,
0: all right. Well, uh, maybe people will co- co- call in and say that I'm that uh, that uh, Trump or Hillary Clinton would do it. Maybe they I don't know, but even I think those two wouldn't.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're I think we're prone to having bad people do bad things too. I I would like to think and and I I, I do think overall that but aren't yeah, but bad in people are
0: less imaginative. Then you know their imaginations that are are more restricted.
1: I I think you might be right about that. I, I I think there's there's degrees to this stuff, and I can point out evil things that we've done, of course, around the world, and I can point out evil things other places have done. And I think overall, I, I you know, I, yeah, I, I see more. I'm not just talking about Russia. I'm talking about places of totalitarianism and some of the things they do to their own people. You know that 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 I I think are worse. There's
0: and, a saying in Russia, you know. Terrorize your own people so that others will be afraid.
1: That's real. Well, yeah, that's pretty on brand right there. Yeah. And what w- what is during the whole war though? Like, as a lot of people know that when the Soviet Union flipped over, it changed to basically being called the FSB, but it wasn't that? You much know, the
0: KGB became the FSB? Right. Right. Yeah. The KGB was under the Soviet Union. The secret police were the KGB. And then after the Soviet Union fell, they, there were some various permutations and changes and the organization which emerged was the FSB, which is in Russian federal means the federal security agents.
1: So they they effectively were the byproduct, the afterproduct of the KGB, kind of like name change and name only type deal doing a lot of the same thing.
0: Now, a lot of the same things, but they were different too, because the KGB was an ideological organization that believed it was spreading socialism. And they were they were actually very clever. The FSB is very corrupt, and they're much more murderous. Uh, the the KGB tried to achieve its objectives with psychological manipulation, and res- and at least in the later years, did not rely on brute force as much. Although really? they, uh, yeah, although they could, they could.
1: That's not the narrative you're used to hearing, you know.
0: Well, we're talking, you know, there. The, well, listen, before the KGB, there was the NKVD in the thirties that was responsible for murdering, for ta- you know, for murdering hundreds of thousands of people
1: like the pogroms and stuff no
0: no no pogroms were uh, ethnic uh, anti-jewish for the most part right riots right. no this was the great terror during the 1930s that stalin launched against real and imagined opponents in order to bring the country completely to its knees
1: what did that consist of i don't know a hell of a lot about oh, that oh
0: well all right maybe we'll, let's, let's let's take, take let's lesson. take it, let's take it a step at a time because we're um The Soviet Union, after it was created, declared that it was going to have a final reckoning with the counter-revolution. And they created the first, you know, the secret police who were called the Cheka. And the Cheka was responsible for the Red Terror, which took place in the 1920s. The Red Terror cost maybe 400,000 lives. And And what was that? That that was taking hostages. That was fighting against any... Anybody who was opposed to the Bolshevik regime with mass killings in in Sevastopol in Crimea, fifty thousand people were hanged, and that was that was that way earned Sevastopol the 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 nickname the city of the hanged. Wow! Uh, but the, the then there was uh, the Great Terror, which took place in ni- the nineteen thirties, nineteen 1937-38, and Stalin basically launched a drive against anyone who could conceivably be uh, his opponent to create a perfect totalitarian system. And, you know, 800, well, 150,000 people in that period were arrested. No, not 100, excuse me. 1,500,000 people were arrested during that period. Eight hundred or 700,000 were shot right away. Of those who went, were sent to the camps, many never returned.
1: My oh, God! You know, and then, and what types uh, but, of these were all these were anyone who just opposed the Soviet anyone Communist they principles? suspected
0: of 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 opposition, but also went beyond that. The purpose was to completely terrorize the country. So, you know, let's say that uh, you had studied in Poland as a graduate student. Okay, uh, you were automatically a Polish spy, and anyone who was in your notebook. Or in your address book was your co-conspirator, oh, and that created you know the 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 fear that that engendered, and the purpose was to engender mm-hmm. fear, and it was the the, uh, I knew a woman who was uh, the wife of an ambassador in Moscow at that time, and she said you know the terror was so great that if a foreigner approached Russians on the street. They scattered like mice, uh, and people people who were literally afraid to say anything to each other. There was one story of a of a of a a conversation on a train, uh, in which one person said, uh, "Yes, uh, Fyodor Mikhailovich. Uh, yes, uh, Vitaly Ivan Ivanov Ivanovich and but but beyond that they were paralyzed with fear and couldn't say anything else
1: who were those people
0: just just people on a train someone recalling in a memoir you know what conversations were like during the period of the great terror mm. and that continued what in a in a in a less extreme form because the war broke out and until uh stalin's death in 1953 and then uh uh, in uh, 1956, Khrushchev made a speech, was known as the secret speech, in which he revealed the crimes of Stalin and began freeing people from the labor camps. So the, terror, the level of terror diminished, but the KGB still used repression, uh, to control the population and they they could they could kill people you know but they it was not mass killing anymore but there was selective terror
1: when did they change their name from the other one it was to KGB from the it.
0: NKVD to the KGB yeah. i think that was in the 50s it became first the MGB which was the ministry of security of state security and then it became the, they decided not to call it a ministry anymore and it became the Committee on state Security, the KGB hmm. uh, and then after the Soviet Union, so and in the last days of the Soviet Union, after Gorbachev basically uh, initiated this huge period of liberalization, uh, the KGB did not uh, you know carry out terror attacks uh, on the on the citizens. Uh, and they in fact were much more concerned with grabbing property for themselves and they began you know you know seriously to degrade and and become corrupted and when killings took place they were fights over property not 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 political struggles uh, and then after the fall of the soviet union what had been the kgb became after certain changes and name changes the the FSB, which is what we have now,
1: and did some of it. I want to come and back. those
0: that FSB just to just to finish what we were yeah, saying please. was uh, different from the KGB uh, in that uh, it was much less the the KGB in the latter period. For example, when I was in Moscow, was much more concerned to use psychological you know control over people, but the and the FSB inherited that. Uh and but they, even though they became rather murderous because they were also fighting for for money and property, but uh, they never lost the concentration with, that was had become traditional on psychological manipulation. So, I mean, in the case of the apartment bombings, they they combined, you know, a horrific crime, yes, uh, with a psychological objective. The yes. idea to you know to terrorize the population and create the conditions for Putin to come to power—that's the most important thing to remember about the Putin regime: that it's an illegitimate regime, and it was you it came to power as the result of an act of terror against its own people.
1: Was there aspects, though, and I want to come back to Stalin in a second, but just real quick while you're on this, where tra- where the intelligence transformed to getting to the FSB. Were there also aspects of the KGB, because that's the only intelligence organization we hear about from the USSR year- years, I guess the second half of it, but were there elements of the KGB that got split off into the GRU as well, so they kind of like made it an extra oh, that area was the of GRU is
0: separate. Uh, GRU is defense intelligence. They, uh, the, the, uh, they, those are rival intelligence agencies. The mm. KGB and I mean they, the, the KGB is state security. Uh, the GRU is military security. Of course, they overlap to some extent. I was going to say because yeah. the
1: GRU, for example, is who's responsible for like. Hacking in in our country into discourse and things like that. Oh, that's they where...
0: still exist. Uh, the uh, I think you know. I'm not sure if they still use the name GRU. Uh, I think they do. They do. Yeah, At least that's how yeah, I understand it. Yeah, they do. It. Yeah, and there's the SVR, which is foreign intelligence that works with them. These organists, you know, there there's a, a process of organizational uh, reform and. Uh, reorganization that takes place
1: yeah it's it's interesting though to to hear about stalin though because as we've mentioned earlier on you're you are a true historian of the entirety of the soviet union and and how it got to where it did and then how when it was supposed to change over it did but it didn't They kept a lot of elements which we'll talk about but you know it's such a hard moral thing for me to think about in hindsight in that We we already used the example in something else today about, like, Neville Chamberlain bowing to Hitler and and what that did to the world. But when we went to beat Hitler, who we can all agree was a horrible dude and did these awful things to human beings, we also partnered with a guy who did a lot of these things too.
0: Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Like,
1: Stalin, the more I hear about him, I mean, this was a murderous awful guy and so i kind of struggle with that in hindsight in the sense that it's almost like we we batted one for two when we did that war and it's not to take away from the importance of what we did and and not just us but all the allied powers in preserving a free world to exist within parts of the planet after that obviously but like you know that set off a cold war because the people the person in this case in particular who's in charge there was was the same?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, the, 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 these were two totalitarian regimes, and uh, people, particularly in Eastern Europe, point out that communism claimed more victims than Nazism. Oh, oh, partially because they had more time. Yeah. Uh, but the the what the the special horror. That uh, is reserved for Nazism is that Nazism was murder as an end in itself. Yeah. The communists killed, but they killed in order to create what they what they said was a workers' paradise, or a, you know a just society. The, the 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 numbers were astronomical in both cases. But the idea of simply murder—you know—the the, the Nazis elevated murder uh, to uh, the highest principle and the highest goal of of politics. Whereas, the, you know, once the Soviet regime was established, and once it no longer uh, was fighting uh, against various enemies, uh, the, the mass killing stopped. Mm. There were the goal was not to kill, which uh, but rather to create a certain type of society. Uh, in the case of 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 the Nazis, the killing would have never stopped. But because you... once they once they had finished with the Jews, the next target was the Poles, and then the yeah, and then even the uh, even those people in uh, even Germans who were mentally handicapped or yeah. You know, so it was, you know, it was a, it was an extermination machine set in 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 uh, in motion by one uh, basically gifted psychopath.
1: It doesn't. The, the, my only issue with that is I agree with you on on Nazi Germany and what that was. I think that it's been well documented pretty easily, and there is the element that, like, yes, Stalin did. Kill Jews, for example, people on on the basis of their their background, their ethnic background, but it seems to me like Nazism was more to preserve ethnic and and racial insanity tied to their identity as a party of their country, whereas it was the same thing in Russia, except it was more to preserve political identity, so how would they you know like I don't know. Stalin died, I guess, in like 1953 or something. But let's say he had lived another 20 years. And I'm not sure this is what you're saying, but correct me if I'm wrong here. It's like, you think the killing would have stopped at some point where he said, okay, we're good. It doesn't seem to me like that was on the table.
0: Stalin was constantly looking for a a new – in fact, he was on the verge of, 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 of deporting and exiling the Jewish population of Moscow. (laughs) <laughs> when he died and those plans were you know were dismantled. And uh but the uh the level murder on the level of the Great Terror, uh you know, there were periodic purges to kind of you know, reinforce his hold on power rather than because he needed to carry out these purges.
1: What about at the very beginning, too? Like, he became this guy. He became the longtime leader of the USSR. But, you know, I think sometimes we forget, at least in America, we forget about that part of history of, like, how it began. I mean, this thing was – you had Tsar Nicholas and his family essentially as royalty in charge of the country up to 1917, and then they were rounded up and executed by – communist rebels who who formed the USSR. But, you know, was there – you're talking about filling us in on the history of the 20s and 30s in particular and these various mass killing machines that went on. Yeah, Obviously, the government had control of the media. They could suppress the spread of news. But they're still taking, as you said, 1.5 million people just for that one program. Those people have family. You know, people talk and stuff like that. Based on when the USSR formed or started to take over in 1917 with communism, like how long was it before there was a serious societal-wide backlash against it? Versus a lot of people were just like, no, this is kind of cool. Like,
0: like was no, there? There was, was never there support? A, never a backlash against it until a significant backlash until Perestroika and Gorbachev began to provide. Truthful information, because the whole, the combination of propaganda and fear was enough to you kill. Know, and also, the the, the uh, you know, Stalin purged people in leadership positions. Ordinary people, by and large, were not were not uh, touched as much and, uh, and the, it's unfortunate characteristic of Russian people that they have a vision of government as, as uh, a force that terrorizes, and a strong government is a, 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 a government that terrorizes a, a lot. This was the case of their, in their attitude toward Ivan the Terrible who was very popular among Russians.
1: When was he? Well, that was the sixth, century?
0: 16th century, way back. Yeah, way back, way back. But the the and and the, you know p- p- Stalin remained popular and remains popular today. Really? Yeah, in 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 Russia, but you despite his methods because you know it, it was seen as uh in the interest of the state. And we have an echo of this in the recent statement of Putin that I mentioned earlier, that Russians are ready to give everything, to sacrifice everything for the motherland. In other words, it's a very warped situation in which they so identify with the state and so little with their own individual dignity that they, they, that they consider it normal for people to be killed in the interest of the state. And that's part of the reason why they're able so easily to invade a country like Ukraine, because uh, there's no check, there's no nothing, you know, no limit of conscience, no limit of social institutions that keeps uh, Russia from engaging in barbarous behavior, and it's one of the reasons why they commit atrocities as they did at bucha in ukraine and in other places Mariupol, uh when they invade foreign countries because they they consider that this is their right uh, there was a a uh, a young russian officer uh uh expressed the point of view when he was you know when he talked about uh the, you know his role in the war in chechnya he said that uh, there's a, uh, my, I answer for my men, my platoon. I don't answer for anyone else. Mm. If there's a sniper on top of a building, I call in uh, artillery strikes on the building uh, in order to destroy the sniper, even though I know there are civilians living in the building. Uh, if people... Uh, are unhappy about that, uh, they should you know, take their complaints to the people who cooked this kasha. In other words, the people who created this situation. You know, my job is to destroy the sniper. Uh, the fact that you know, there are civilians, including old people, women, children, and so on in the building that I'm going to blow up just so that the building collapses and the sniper is killed, uh, that's their problem.
1: Just a different, it's oh, a very different much so, trained mentality. But I, I mean, what? How did you? <clears throat> you have a, a regime that's built on reinforcing that mentality, and I'm talking about the USSR now, and of course also today. But there was a point there when. As we've laid out, when the USSR fell, that it was like, oh, my God, Russia might become a democratic stronghold or whatever, where there's free elections and fair elections and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's not how it turned out. But what led up to that was you had a guy get into power, I guess, in like the late 70s or early 80s with, with Gorbachev, who, as you said, decided to with it was perestroika, right?
0: Was that what it was? Well, there were reforms, and they were called perestroika, yeah,
1: right. so how did there finally like what led to him getting power, and like did he have a change of heart as he as he as he climbed the chain of command and then realized like, oh, i'd rather us be more democratic, or was he always that way and wanted to reform the system that they had put into place
0: I doubt he was always that way um, he was uh somebody who moved up step-by-step step in the Communist Party hierarchy. And uh, he saw, however, that the, the, the Soviet Union faced problems that only, as he understood it, liberal reform could solve. And one of those problems was the, uh, it was falling behind the West technologically and economically. Mm. So that was the 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 inspiration for it, but also because many of the younger uh, communist party officials were mesmerized by the material wealth of the West, and they wanted personally to share in it. Those were all factors that led Gorbachev to uh, take the risk of reform,
1: and he also, you know, he left power after the ussr fell and everything but he lived up until august of this year so i've seen some stuff online but first of all how much did he even have an ability to speak his mind without the threat of his life in his later life and and secondly like what what were his was he very supportive of vladimir putin
0: or no no and i mean and i think that but he he was silent he was silenced uh, and uh, I think you know, living in Russia, he almost had to be. He, yeah. he, you know, he was. He, what he said uh, was carefully controlled, and what he could say, it must be wild for him because he's supposed to be the guy who
1: got them to a place where it wasn't like that, and people could do what they wanted. But it didn't. You know, you replaced psycho left wing with psycho right wing, which is kind of the same thing, where the political circles meet each other. Yeah. And and you get what you get, but you know, something you and I had talked about towards the end last time just a little bit, mm-hmm. but I wanted to get in more is sure. is actually one thing that I feel like is kind of now not talked about at all. So maybe you can shed some light, but that is the whole oligarch system. And what you had a chance to lay out last time was how in the 90s there was a giant power vacuum that happened and in the the democratization what was supposed to be the democratisation of the USSR you had limited individuals basically get control of all key industry as we know the oligarchs a lot of them were backed by crime or were criminals themselves and then basically formed this group who controlled all the GDP of the country and therefore well not the all not
0: all of it but a very very significant
1: part a lot of it yeah so the reason i bring it up is because one of the main stories at the very beginning of the war was these sanctions we were putting on Russia. And a big part of that was the sanctions we were putting on the oligarchs, most of whom have interests abroad outside of pretty much all of whom have some sort of interests or residencies abroad in other countries. And I haven't heard a ton about that since. And what I was wondering is, you know, behind the scenes, was there was there any real threat of like, waning support or or having uh, some of these robber barons so to speak switch sides because putin was costing them their ability to have influence and be themselves in on on foreign lands or have they all basically said through either threat or just political agreement that hey this is the right thing and and we're getting behind this guy and and we'll deal with the fallout
0: well they don't their opinion doesn't matter i think they were all uh Unhappy about what happened, because it threatened their economic interests for sure. But uh, Putin had basically reduced the power of the oligarchs to the point that they were dependent on the political authorities and not the other way around, which was the way it was under Yeltsin. And so, therefore, there you know, uh, and uh, and he had much more over them than he than they had over him. So you did. We haven't heard much from them.
1: What do you mean he had much cuz that seems an obvious statement to me but how how so like well, why doesn't arrest
0: have... them um you know they can be he controls the 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 justice system he can uh seize their property uh he can control their movements uh take away their passports ground their airplanes uh, Oh, a lot of things he can do.
1: But do they hold also any sway behind the scenes quietly that the public doesn't know about in still some of these Western nations where they've had a foothold for a long time? Oh, in
0: the Western nations probably because they have extensive business interests.
1: So like in the UK where there's a significant presence of Russian oligarchs. I haven't heard much about you know. We heard the sanctions at the beginning, but it seems like these guys are alive and well and doing their thing. Or are they? Well, they they're very favor? rich
0: and they 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 have money stashed away, and some of it they've lost, and some of it they're just spending. Uh but uh, you know, obviously, their position is not as uh, is not what it was. Mm.
1: But also on the other side of it, is there a similar? Set up like I've I have a guy pulled up behind you right here. If you look at the screen right behind you, this dude, Ihor Kolomoisky, is that um, how you say it?
0: Ihor uh, yeah. So
1: he's curious to me. I don't know much about him, but he's reported as like a Ukrainian oligarch. So yeah. he's on the other side of the issue. Is there is there a similar cohort of people who effectively curry the same level of power and favor like that in Ukraine?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, there are, but they have, uh, you know, they, they, they were, I mean, the situation in Ukraine was more pluralistic, uh, whereas the the oligarchs were all beholden to Putin, uh, and whereas the p- p- oligarchs in oh. Ukraine, they backed very different political. I mean, Kolomoisky backed Zelensky, other oligarchs backed Poroshenko. And you know, it was a more more pluralistic situation, but in you know in the post communist countries, particularly Russia and Ukraine, uh, certain well placed people were able to 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 gain access to you know state assets and create empires, basically on the basis of theft yes uh in cooperation with organized crime and then they tried or they hoped to dictate conditions to government in Russia that lasted only as long as Yeltsin was alive when P- Putin came into power he 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 uh threatened them with criminal prosecution and created his own oligarchs mainly made up of his cronies uh, who who became rich on state business and state assets.
1: Yeah, I think he threw... Who's the one guy he threw in prison?
0: Karakovsky. Yes,
1: that's it. So that was one well, of the and guys. Also,
0: I mean, Berezovsky was forced to flee, and Berezovsky was, I believe, murdered, although mm. the oligarchs are not the key to the situation now.
1: Who is? Minus uh, Putin.
0: I think the the Russian military and the intelligence services... Uh, And I think that there have got to be people in those organizations who understand that this war has to stop and that the country is being destroyed by the war.
1: Haven't some of those people been disappearing, though, too?
0: No, no, that the people have been disappearing are those who have, uh, you know, some type of economic interests that have come into conflict with those, uh, you know, in the regime. And. Uh, with the with persons in the regime, plus the fact that you know under conditions of sanctions, uh, there's uh, a fight over diminishing resources. wait what? I mean, but the u s and the West have Im- have imposed sanctions, and that's disrupted the economy. Right. A lot of people have had assets seized. A lot of yes. people don't have money that they thought they had. A lot of people have debts they can't repay. A lot of people are ho- sitting on money they don't want to return. Uh, and so a whole new set of quarrels has broken out as a result of a, a an unexpected and quite different situation.
1: I just, you know, I talked to a guy like you, and I was joking with you earlier. I don't know if joking is a word, but, <laughs> you know, when I went to pick you up from the station in, in March when you came here, it's like a week after the war broke out. And I'm the, I'm the farthest thing from a spy, but I find myself sitting in the car looking three hundred yards in every direction to see if someone's following you. And I didn't see anyone, but I might have missed someone. I don't know.
0: We don't know. We you, never know.
1: You walk around with such a a on the outside relaxed demeanor with with your own background and and the threat that you were, that your brave reporting has has posed on your life and everything, but. You know, it may be a bit of a personal question, but I am very curious, and I know a lot of people out there listening are. Do you do you worry about things getting, you know, threats on on your life as a result of the current situation and and the fact that you continue to be a guy who will go on anything on every mainstream platform, non mainstream platform, and and spread the word of, of the things that you know to be true about Vladimir Putin.
0: Well, you know. You cannot be sanguine about uh, the Russians and about the FSB and about their reach. You have to be aware that they are capable of, of, of committing crimes and they're capable of victimizing even Americans, even though that's generally something they avoid. Uh, I think in the present situation, they have a lot on their plate. Mm. Uh, And, and, um, you know, the danger was greater earlier when I was saying things that no one believed. But now that Putin has demonstrated that, you know, to any um, unbiased observer that what I was saying is true, uh, taking action against me will not solve their problem because now the, the view that they're capable of doing what I've accused them of doing, i.e. committing acts of terror against their own population, is so plausible that, uh, uh, you know, there aren't a whole lot of objections. I mean, just for example, I have a piece coming out on in, in two days, three days, in the Wall Street Journal, in which I discussed the apartment bombings. But I don't think that, that there's a danger at the present time. But that's just based on my instinct. Uh, after many, many years of dealing with them, I think they don't want to do it. I think they, they don't want to cause anything to draw attention to my accusations.
1: And I don't, I don't think they, you know, sit from my seat. The international incident that would be harming a a Western American journalist, I think, would make the Jamal Khashoggi implications we saw in a separate situation look tame. Yeah,
0: this is the point, and and uh, and it's also an attack on you know, I'm 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 well known in this field. And it would be an attack on the ability of America to understand what's going on. I mean, it would would really be uh, something that would uh, strike at, you know, the American political and intellectual process itself. I don't think uh, – and I, what would they gain from it, really? Uh, it would only publicize uh, everything I'm saying. And I – I agree with that. My and now, now that said, that said, it pays to be careful. Yes, and yes. I am, and even though I may seem casual, I'm more careful than you realize.
1: Well, that's good, you're hiding it well. But I, I mean, I do wonder sometimes, and I had mentioned this to you in the car on the way over here today. The colleague in arms on the Russian apartment bombing situation from russia's side of the media was alexander Litvinenko.
0: <clears throat> yeah yeah know. and he was a former fsb agent right. as well so that they 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 also have a uh a, a particular uh, animosity toward people they regard as traitors yes uh because i was i never worked for them i mean as one person explained it to me once he said you know we we understand an enemy uh you know, an enemy is an enemy. What you you, know, you you can't change him. There's nothing you can do with him. And after all, we're enemies too of some people. Mm. You know, and particularly an honorable enemy. You know, but a traitor. This is someone who has you know uh, eaten our food, as they you know the Russians say, or uh, you know uh, a, you know who was who belonged to us and then turned against us. That's a different, a different, a different uh, consideration, and particularly, and it's also if if they see a, a Russian as a traitor, they feel that they have carte blanche with Russians. They don't feel they have carte blanche with Americans. It doesn't mean that they can't. They can't. Uh, they can't kill Americans. In fact, they have killed. I mean, Paul Klebnikov, an American journalist, was killed in two
1: thousand and four. Um, Oh, 2004. So yeah, it was, was a long time ago. that was pre-Litvinenko. What, pre, ha- pre, what happened to Paul?
0: Paul was a very fine writer. He worked for Time, uh, not Time, for Forbes magazine. I didn't know him personally, but I was familiar with his work. And I later, after his death, met met his widow. Uh, he, he wrote a lot about the corruption of the oligarchs. He wrote a biography of Boris Berezovsky who was maybe the most famous of the oligarchs and uh but he had a tendency to idealize and this was i believe his big mistake uh to idealize putin idealize the fsb even though for all his talent and he had a lot uh uh, this and
1: uh wait am i understanding that correctly idealize like make them seem good
0: I think in his he saw them as a progressive force p- okay. potentially a force that could bring good things to Russia in the future. Uh, I don't want to characterize it too much for him because you know he you know he's not alive he's not in a position to say what he thought but in any case he did collaborate with them to some degree in fact as sources of information and that's a very dangerous relationship to be in with them.
1: So why did why did they kill him?
0: Well, and how we have to do we it? have to ask that, but he may have he may have in their view overstepped the line of what's acceptable for a foreigner by giving giving, you know, he may have uh, he may have gotten corruption about the FSB, he might have tried to do something to uh, uh alert them to the fact that they were on the wrong path or something i mean we don't know but but all the evidence is that that they organized his killing
1: was he killed on u.s soil
0: no in moscow
1: and how how did they they shoot him or what
0: shoot him and then when they brought him to the hospital they jammed the elevator so that he was to make sure that he died
1: oh jesus wow again that's that is back in
0: Back in 04, uh, there was another American who was killed in a business dispute, Paul Tatum, uh, who uh, got into a business dispute with the mayor of Moscow and his various representatives. He mm-hmm. was shot on the mm-hmm. street. Um, you know, if you get involved, I mean, I the full details of Paul's fate are 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 not clear to me but he he got a lot of cooperation from alexander Karshakov, who was the uh, chief guard for yeltsin and a you know of kgb veteran fsb veteran uh, for his book exposing the corruption of Berezovsky. of course but he, you know Ber- uh, Karsyakov was just as murderous as Berezovsky. Mm. and he he fell into a kind of uh, dependent uh, apparently apparently and here you know I I don't want to be I I don't want to say anything that isn't true but he seems to have uh in his writing and in his statements uh had an a unrealistic view of the KGB uh you know, there's a the story. I'm, I'm sorry, the FSB. You know, there's a story in the novel, The Godfather. Do you remember how it begins?
1: Mario uh, Puzo's like, the yeah, Mario the Godfather. Puzo's.
0: Uh, a man whose daughter's been raped goes to the yes. Yes. goes to the mob and asks them to take care of the person who has, yes. and then they say, but from that point he belongs to them. Yes. Well, you know, Paul may not have understood that. In their understanding, uh, they don't just help.
1: Mm. So the but minute this he is, does something they don't like is yeah. that's
0: essentially a fate sealer.
1: Is the implication? Huh.
0: Now I want to stress that that's how it seems to me. That's what I believe. But it you know but uh, and I do believe that this he was killed at at the behest of the FSB.
1: But also, like you mentioned, Paul as well as Tatum, the businessman, both killed on Russian soil. On
0: Russian soil, and, and both of them had, to a certain extent, become involved in the Russian world in a way that I did not. I mean, I was, uh, you know, as, as an investigative journalist, or as a writer and historian, uh, I was carrying out a function that was, you know, recognized as part of my my work. I didn't I didn't become part of what was happening there, mm. except in so far as you know my my writing and my my speeches and and so on. But I I, I didn't have kind of relationships uh, that would entangle me with either money or or operations of some sort. I see
1: what you're saying, but you're still reporting massive truths that are highly against. Uh, oh, absolutely,
0: you know. and there's no and this is the thing. This is the thing about the uh, about the KGB or about the FSB, I and mean, we were getting our letters all mixed up because you know it was one the the organization had one name you know, under one regime and a different name under a different regime. But uh, what I'm saying is that you can kind of guess what the borderlines are, but you can always be wrong. What do you mean? you can sort of guess what it's safe to do and where you're treading mm. on very dangerous ground. And, but there's, there are no guarantees here. There are no guarantees. In fact, I think, I mean, it must give them credit. I think the fact that I was expelled from Russia... I'm the I'm the only American who was ever expelled from post-Soviet and is that, Russia.
1: Has that remained true
0: to this yeah. day, oh, like yeah. through the war? Yeah, they they haven't they haven't. Well, technically others have expelled? others have left voluntarily, but but yeah, uh, is a tribute to the fact that they didn't want to do anything worse, and they could have. I mean, have people mentioned to me afterward? He said that you can consider yourself lucky to have been yeah. expelled. Maybe that I may mean, that may well have been the case.
1: See, I would have said. Bringing the reason I was bringing in Litvinenko is because while you did make the distinction, he was an actual Russian who wasn't... and in, he
0: was former FSB, right?
1: So in their mind, a traitor. But they did in 2006; they did kill him on British soil.
0: Absolutely, right? And and, uh, and and they they are capable of carrying out those. And it's he's not the only person who's been murdered in the UK.
1: No, who was the guy who they failed to murder? Scrip,
0: Skripal, yeah, and his daughter Sergei Skripal, but but um, we don't know what condition he's in. By the way, Skripal, yeah,
1: that was a while ago, right?
0: Yeah, but he's alive. But but was he permanently injured or disabled by the attack? We I mean we don't know. It was a, it, it was a an attempt to kill.
1: Yeah, it was a, some sort of. It was the chemical agent. No, as well. but
0: bear in mind that Skripal. Was also a former, uh, he was, I think he was former GRU.
1: He was former, yeah. I don't know if it was GRU, whatever it or was. Or
0: SVR, I'm not sure. He
1: was former Russian government.
0: Yeah, yes. well, he was intelligence as well. I mean, yes. he was, you know, and he was exchanged. So, I mean, the long, and the long answer, or the short answer to your question is that um, uh, it pays to be careful, and I try to be careful, to the extent that i can but i do want to continue to lead a normal life which is essential if i'm going to keep writing so yeah you
1: see you seem to be doing a pretty good job with it you seem to be all over the place doing your thing so i i hope that that continues i i just
0: that's also a form of protection by the way
1: going everywhere oh yeah getting your face yeah well yeah absolutely i know i'm going on a
0: podcast that's Going to be seen by a lot of young people, and not only young people, but old people.
1: That's right, and and that's and I, that's why I love being able to use the platform we're building to get stories like this out mm-hmm. there because it's on there for the record. Can't take it off. It's it that's is right. What
0: it is that's right. A lot of people see it and think about it.
1: Right. So, you know, I would have said. Because the heat they got for the Litvinenko thing, and righteously so, was nuts because they did it on foreign soil. It was figured out that they did it and they had sanctions and the world flipped out. Well,
0: don't, don't overestimate it. A uh, 2006 Litvinenko uh, was killed. Uh, uh, Theresa May, who was the uh, foreign – the interior secretary, squashed a full-scale investigation for mm. fear of alienating Russia. And two years later, President Obama in, uh, inaugurated the—actually, uh, it wasn't two years later. It was—I'll tell you when it was. He was 2006. And, well, he got
1: in in 2008. And so, so, 06.
0: Uh, so about a year and a half later, Obama uh, and, and, and Hillary, who was then the Secretary of State, Announced the reset policy, so right, as if right. nothing had happened. Right. So that's not really uh, much of a deterrent. Yes. I mean, the, the Litvinenko murder was one of many, many, many missed opportunities to limit Putin and prevent what's going on now.
1: And you discussed having meetings with – I think it was you and Nemtsov were meeting with – Dignitaries of the United States trying to warn oh, we, them on all uh, this.
0: Boris Nemtsov was murdered in 2015, and I we we spoke to a leading uh, a leading uh, official who was one of the architects of the reset policy, and explained to him how misguided it was. But it was, you know, it was on deaf it, it, it went to deaf ears because you know he had his career to think about. He knew what Obama expected for him to say. Uh And he wasn't going to uh, jeopardize that.
1: but I, I would have thought because again, this is '06 is right before social media started to become a really big thing, and, and Web 2.0 was coming in where there's real mass communication and everything at all times. It's like I would have thought that that's not something, as in murdering someone else that you don't like on foreign soil was something that Putin would use so brazenly but then you mentioned it's it's a news report that people have probably seen there was a guy a few months ago Rappaport what was his first name uh, Dan Rappaport Dan Rappaport
0: no Rappaport he was my fr- friend of mine he he was uh he and we don't know what the story is there i mean i i found it, his death very suspicious he fell from a build from a, a a roof of a of a of a building in Washington. It was killed.
1: Indeed, that's what I'm saying. In the United States, and it certainly looks sketchy. So what was his he was someone what was his full background? He was someone who spoke out against Putin and and the regime, but what Yeah, and what he, were some worked, of the he worked he
0: against it. And he worked against it. But, you know, he was uh he was a bit at the time, you know, until very recently living in Ukraine and working on various business deals. Uh and he moved back to the states after the war broke out, and then I learned that he had committed suicide. He was a good guy, and, and uh, uh, it's all unexplained. It could have been, a, you know, it could have been a biz, business rivals. It could have been people who were angry about his work in trying to uh, get companies to disinvest in the Russia, from from Russia. But anyway we're trying to find out what what really happened with him. I mean there're many puzzling details. And you're
1: you're meeting with his wife. Oh,
0: you know. a little bit later, yeah. Right, I mean, today. But, but I know her and I I I I I knew him and I want to we want to find out what we can.
1: What does she think?
0: Well, I'm going to find out. I I mean so far we don't you know there are mixed signals I would say. We we many that many things don't make sense but on the other hand uh, uh i think that, that there's still some possibility of discussing it further with the fbi the washington dc police and i don't place a lot of confidence in them but still they said that the cause of death was of course uh, uh a fall and uh, the but the manner of death is undetermined that's so uh, scary yeah because you would think I mean,
1: especially now, there's literally a war going on. Everyone's paying attention to Putin and what he's doing, and and well, like a him. lot
0: there have been a lot of, of mysterious deaths of Russians all over the world. People who you know holders of money in one way way or another.
1: Who are some prominent ones that we should know about?
0: Well, they're, they're just 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 recently in India a, a man fell out of a window who was the head of a uh, <laughs> uh, who was a, a, a local politician and the head of a big meat a meat company in Russia when I say meat company I mean a really very major v- really very major enterprise uh, you know one of the leaders of Luke oil f- uh, f- I don't know if he fell from a window or he fell down steps uh, you know. It, just crazy stuff. I mean, the number, the death toll, is somewhere like thirteen, fourteen right now.
1: Absolutely, just. I mean, it's it's chilling and, to think about. Yeah. You know,
0: I mean, this is listen. These are gangsters, and they get, you know, and they, they 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 hate each other, and they kill. Uh And they they don't ex, they don't they don't have any particular moral limits. Why this is this is one of the reasons why we don't want them. Organizing a massive army with nuclear weapons to attack a neighboring country, because it's that kind of people are involved.
1: Why don't we hear as much about these brazen ones? I mean, even the even the Rappaport thing.
0: Well, there was coverage.
1: There there was was some coverage of that one, but like some of these other ones you were telling me about in the car, the one you just laid out there, very very limited. I mean, I'm look.
0: It depends where you're looking, of course. I mean, the thing is, you know, the internet has become vast. Yes. Uh the coverage, you know, was so many we first of all we once had just the newspapers. You know, newspapers, radio, mm-hmm. etc. Now we have internet. Now we have blogs. Uh so now we have Twitter, we have Facebook. I mean, there are lots of places to look. And and we have you know, we have have uh YouTube and Instagram. So the people's attention is fragmented. Uh but those you know, they have there are reports. There have been reports.
1: Well, I mean, that's good to hear, I guess, because maybe that means some of it I haven't seen. I mean, my my perspective comes from avidly seeing what's trending on Twitter as it pertains to specific topics like this. And I think that, you know, we touched on this a bit earlier, but didn't go all the way there. It's like, you know, y- you do see these two teams form and it's only divided as as the war went on where it's it's – it's not in style to be someone who kind of sees the nuance of the situation, as I've tried to lay out today. It's it's either you are Ukraine flags in your bio, or you're you're reposting Tucker Carlson clips and stuff. And so when you're someone who's knowledgeable in all this, like you, who understands what go, what's going on, also, and I mean this fairly, is going to have some bias because this guy's ruined your life and and killed your friends, and you've been there for forty five years, or you were there for forty years and then got kicked out. You know, like. How do you – when you see people who maybe are, are really pissed off, like we talked about it, at the money that's all flowing over there and the fact that some of the people who are just screaming Ukraine are some of the same people that scream some of the woke stuff that, that the other side may not like. like. Do you find yourself having trouble trying to convince people to look at the bigger picture here?
0: Well, we always have that problem. We always have that problem. The uh, uh, Americans, unfortunately, uh, are pretty, pretty provincial in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah. they, um, it's very hard, especially since we don't have the Cold War anymore. Uh, and the result is that America turned inward and began to focus on internal conflicts. We didn't have an external enemy, so we made enemies of our own people. And uh, you, and some of this competition is backed up by careerism because careers are sometimes, especially in government, doled out on the basis of ideological preferences. Same in the media. Uh, It is it is indeed difficult to impress on people the importance of having a broader historical understanding and uh, the importance of, of, of viewing the events not superficially. I was watching a video somewhere on the Internet of a woman, made by a woman who had uh, her... Who who, whose Christmas was ruined because of a fight she had with her mother over politics. Mm. Her mother and her stepfather, and she was crying, and she described uh, uh, how uh, she she said to her mother that is I I've come to realize that my parents are bad people Uh, over the politics. Yeah, and and of course her mother probably reacted in a similarly uh, extreme manner. But this is all possible. See where we we don't want to resemble spiders in a jar, you know fighting each other over uh over things that don't matter. uh But that's what it's become more and more in the u S because and the reason for that is, you know, for one thing, uh uh an a tendency just to look no further than our own selves, our own identity, our own interests. And at the same time, a lack of any kind of interest in history, a failure to be to be intellectually serious, and a and a refusal to recognize how much there is that we don't know. I mean, we've got a battle now in yeah. the, in this country, and this is, and and I say this in all sincerity between the uneducated, uh, who nonetheless uh, rely on common sense, and the half-educated who mm. uh, who think that they're too smart to to be guided by common sense, but who of course don't understand the half that they that they need to know but don't
1: well i but th- don't have i think it's because they hold what what happens it's basic human psychology even with this, and maybe i 'm oversimplifying it a little bit but <clears throat> They find one thing that pisses them off where they have some great evidence to be like, yeah, there's a good reason this is pissing me off. And then they then therefore decide that anything else to come out of that purview therefore must be tainted and not something I could pay attention. So as an example, you see people maybe get upset like I was alluding to earlier that Zelensky's this media darling or whatever. And I, I hear this comparison all the time people will be like oh he's their new Fauci or something which I do think is totally unfair I think the guy's the president of a country that's under attack right now and he's doing what he's got to do there's some things I've laid out I disagree with but the people who are feel incentivized to go after him can't recognize anything that might be like yeah and they're, the lazy,
0: and they're lazy as well I mean they're they're lazy and they're superficial and they don't they they don't want to make the effort that's required and a lot of you know, I can give you a tell you a story that might might help illustrate uh, illustrate this. When I was growing up, I grew up in Chicago, and every Sunday morning, there were religious programs, usually evangelical qu- Christians, and uh, oftentimes they had you know, uh, r- rural, I would say, you know, to be to be kind, accents. Uh, and they spoke at length about the evils of dialectical materialism, which is an aspect of marxism that i 'll get back to in a minute okay I was a little kid, and I absolutely hated these religious broadcasts, largely because they interfered with programming that I wanted to see, <laughs> like the cartoons but but uh and, and these preachers, these evangelicals, for me, were just the, the, the epitome of ignorance with their nattering on about uh, dialectical materialism. But, you know, even from that early age, I remember the phrase, well, the years go by, I go to Moscow. Uh, first, I go to Oxford, and I study political philosophy. Then I go to Moscow. And I studied the Russian ideology and I came, finally came to the conclusion that everything that happened in the Soviet Union was based on the Soviet ideology. And then I came to the further conclusion that the essence of the Soviet ideology is dialectical materialism. Mm. So all these people whose ignorance I had taken for granted were actually right. Wow. And they understood something that it took me uh, a good th- 30 years to figure out. Now, of course, I was. Th- this is a lesson for all of us. Yes. Uh, a lot of those people who we consider so ignorant and so unworthy of attention, and who are, in truth, n- oftentimes not terribly well educated, often uh, uh, understand things that the half educated. Don't understand, Mm. and the half-educated would be well uh, advised to moderate their uh, contempt for those people. Yes, and uh, 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 and try try to first of all become fully educated, which of course is only going to be very few people, but also try to engage in with those. Uh, who have a different point of view and to try to understand now the half educated also have their you know certain insi- uh, insights as well so it should be a mutual process yes.
1: well I, and that's a good that's a great way to bring it full circle because even from a <clears throat> political stance standpoint there, it has to be a two- way street you know yeah. you the, the example you lay out, is apolitical in the sense that it applies to all angles and i think you're spot on when you say that we have a serious problem in this country of recognizing those other points of views i've mentioned this on some other podcasts but i had heard dr phil talking I, i think it was yeah it was a joe rogan podcast somewhat recently he was on as a guest and I can't remember. I got to go back and check this. I, I can never remember this. If he was saying he was a part of this study, like he was running it, or it was his friend who was running it. But either way, he mentioned this study at a college in California where they brought in like the Young Democrats Club and the Young Republican Club. And they put them all in a room and had them, you know, they sat on separate sides of the room, had them argue about issues, and they were just going at each other like crazy. And so after a couple hours of that, where they were treating each other like animals, He – they – the study runners made the – each person from each side find a counterpart on the other side and had them stand directly across from each other, like all separately. And they just started with things as simple as stare each other in the eyes for two minutes and basic human connection. And then they worked their way towards tell each other where you're from or – you know about your family or your, your full background, things like that. And they did this for a few hours to the point that people were emotional about it. And to a man and woman, every single person in the study in their individual breakout session afterwards to discuss the results mentioned how until they did that exercise, they never viewed the other person as human. And so I think well when... that's
0: yeah that's how extreme things have have gotten and that's based on lack of education unfortunately. Mm. You know, you we were talking about the Great Terror. Uh you know, the there are the the regime in the United States or the 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 the, the, the system in the United States prevents a Great Terror. Uh yeah there's so much that Americans take for granted because they, yeah. they they don't have historical knowledge, and as a result uh we weaken each other we weaken our society and we weaken our country uh and this 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 excessive aggressivity which is confine, confined to a set of cliched issues that actually don't matter uh is only possible because people cannot see the broad picture.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's it's not you know, people have their lives. Normal Americans, like any other country, they have their life to go about and priorities and paying the bills and taking mm. care of their kids and stuff like that. And I don't expect people to all be like educated on every issue. I just take issue with the factioning of teams in two hundred and eighty character tweets
0: no not Online. only not only that julian but the the fact is that uh, on issues they care about issues that they're aggressive about issues that they're willing to break relationships over yeah those are the issues where they are obliged to to learn a little bit and it's not and to say that i don't have time i'm too busy tweeting it's not a good explanation
1: i don't disagree that they that if you're going to if you're gonna fight about the stuff or fight for your stance, you you should have knowledge. I I agree.
0: I, I agree with that. Otherwise, I'm, remain open and listen.
1: Right. I'm saying that the rest of the population who maybe aren't the ones sending those tweets. Yeah. They get pulled into having to just get annoyed at this constant bitching and moaning, going back and forth, and well, there are a lot out. of
0: yeah, there are a lot of people who would who would who who would prefer a more harmonious and a more open and reasonable absolutely atmosphere and we have to work for that uh and and knowledge is a great great source
1: yeah now what on, on another note what did you what did you make of the victor boot for brittany griner trade that went on and, and before you answer that question i i do want to say i i think the backlash against britney that certain factions have had is totally unfair but i i understand that on paper if you're looking at like the value of a trade you know we, we we did trade away a very dangerous guy and it's not like we got someone that's a danger to them so to speak in back in the trade
0: yeah I'm very sorry that Boot was freed. Uh, I'm glad to see that uh, uh, Brittany was freed, but I would have preferred it not to be for him. Yeah, because he's a very dangerous, and he's dangerous in this situation. She's not a dangerous person. She made a mistake. She did not use good judgment. Okay, but that can happen to a lot of people. Yes. Do uh, you pull the mic
1: in just a little bit? Sorry. And who, I think who was the, he? I, he,
0: he? Well, he was you know, the person who supplied arms to practically every civil war and every conflict around the world, Soviet arms, uh, after the fall of the Soviet Union. He was you know, culpable in, million, in, in hundreds of thousands of people being killed. He, you know, He found the way. He often armed both sides. He was totally cynical. And he, those networks still exist and can be useful to Russia in the war with Ukraine that's one of the reasons why he had to stay in prison so i'm not you know should should we have i mean you know i, I i'm sure politics played a role yeah uh and that's unfortunate and uh, was the was the price too high to get her freedom well uh, you know what can you say i mean you know surely uh you know, we want to get any American out when they're unjustly uh, locked up or, or given a sentence that's way out of proportion to anything that they've actually done. Yes. Uh
1: at what cost is always the question. Fair. Yeah,
0: I mean, at at what cost? I'm mean, I'm thinking of the young man who was murdered by the North Koreans, uh, the the o- Ohio yeah uh, the yeah. Ohio uh, st- student. I mean, uh the uh i uh, Brittany would not have been murdered presumably but but um but it's it's better that she's out uh i w- i think you know had i been in 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 joe biden's place or in the place of the administration i would have tried to exchange her for for someone other than boot
1: and it sounds like in in their defense a little bit it sounds <clears throat> like they took that off the table. It feels like Russia, perhaps correctly so, realized they had a lot of leverage in this I situation. Think they
0: did, and and they 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 realized that there would there would be a, uh, this was a case that they could use. Yeah, um, given 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 the the politics involved.
1: Did 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 boot have? I mean, you said he would supply both sides at different civil wars. Well, uh,
0: one side or another. <laughs> to be, you know, he was.
1: How much of it was? You know, it feels like in Russia, whenever there's powerful people doing things out in the world, they're tied to the Russian government. But how oh, much yeah. of it was like completely on behalf of the Russian government? Versus, uh, I
0: think, I think it was because the, the, he was selling off Russian arms, Soviet arms, ex, you know, surplus arms, and says putting them exactly where they shouldn't be in civil conflicts where they could be used to just, you know, and he was he was organizing all of that. So he was organizing wars, in effect.
1: But there's also, it, it would be fair to say...
0: And they were all over the world.
1: It'd be, it'd be fair to say, though, today, you know, fast forward, there are other people like Victor, Victor Boot operating in in a very evil way. Oh, sure. Right now. Yeah. Okay. Because that's kind of what, like he, like it or not... It, Essentially, what it amounts to is we let him out seven years early. He was going to be deported back in seven years. And we let him out while this war is going on. That's where it really
0: ties in. Listen, uh, what's done is done. I mean, at least uh, uh, an American citizen has gotten her freedom, and and that's good. And uh, uh, now, you know, and he's out. He's somebody who should have stayed in prison, but... Okay, I mean, what's done is done, and and uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not, you know, outraged about it. I just think that it's a shame that we couldn't uh, couldn't exchange her for someone else. Whether that, you know, if, maybe if we'd been a little bit of more patient, but then that meant her staying, you know, in you know, in sure custody longer. Shitty situation. No. Yeah, it was not a good. We were not a, in a good in a good place with that. And it's a warning to Americans generally to be careful when traveling to these countries.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, I think now it's like, why would you even if you're an American, why would you even
0: go? Not to, at this point. Yeah, know, she was yeah. already there when this when yeah, this all no, broke no, out. But yeah.
1: at this point, it's just. Well, you know. all right.
0: I mean, we should learn from what happened to her.
1: Yeah, and and it's not. There was another guy. What was his name? Paul Whelan? Oh yeah,
0: he's still in. I mean, I and in his case, I think the charges are just invented. Yeah, but, they
1: tried to say it's espionage, which is probably bullshit.
0: Well, they want to get someone else out for him too. I'm sure.
1: Who they're, else is on the list of like dangerous people? Like, who would be next at, towards the top? I of that don't know list. who.
0: I don't know who they have in mind, but but clearly they're, you know, they're not. They're resisting. In his case, they think that they can maybe get even more for him. I don't know, or maybe they don't.
1: Do you think there's any world in which Putin is not removed from power for someone? who's uh, western friendly say so to speak do you think there's any world in which we'll ever see if vladimir putin remains healthy and in power and the situation is resolved we'll ever see you know putin at a g7 summit or any normalization
0: Uh, no putin and never again i mean he's responsible for too many murders i mean all these people can be who have died in this conflict can be understood as having been murdered yeah, no. Uh, and no, I think that, and Russia itself will take generations to recover from this in terms of economic integration, if ever. Yeah, it's it's amazing
1: how far it fell 30, yeah. 30 years after the fall of the Soviet Union. Yeah, no, no, like, this
0: yeah, absolutely
1: feels like they're back at square zero. But the, we, you and I, had been talking about another book that had come out recently called Putin's People. We're yeah. talking about this in the car, and it was written by Belton. I think Catherine Belton. Mm-hmm. There was a guy in there who I hadn't asked you about because I was unaware of him, who served as like her main source,
0: Sergei Pugachev, Yeah,
1: right now, who who was this guy? Because you were this saying was, he, he supported was a, Putin.
0: He, oh yeah, he was a very much part of the ruling group, and he was a banker and very wealthy man. He fell out with them, or they, you know, basically they double crossed him. When and this was some years back, and he ended up in Britain, and is. You know, carefully uh, trying to expose them expose helix he exposed you know what what it was in his interest to expose and left out what could uh, actually get him killed uh and uh do you know him a little bit yeah, I've seen him over the years um I would not fully rely on him
1: you think he's just scorned. Because he got...
0: That, I mean, you know, that, and uh, uh, I, I don't think, th- you know, just my knowledge of his life and career suggests to me that he will not share any, that he will be very coll- selective in what he... the end. He probably has a lot of good information, but not, not everything. I in mean, that's
1: a, that's a guy being interviewed in the media, which is one thing. You know, he's a public source in that way. Yeah. But what about, like, behind the scenes obviously it's not like we're going to sit here including you and necessarily no names or anything that's kind of the whole point of it but from a covert perspective how much do you think that that there's a lot of inroads happening right now with various agencies and governments having a significant growing number of intelligence sources on the ground in russia perhaps even in powerful places or do you think it's been a pretty tight ship where putin has Maintained authority and, and through th- through that threats stopped a lot of people from from being any help, even if they're motivated to
0: uh, I, Well, the thing is there's a lot of reason to to share information, but there's a lot of repression so uh, I think that you know people who are outside the country and don't intend to go back are a good source. I'm not sure how much information you can get in from inside the country right now. Not given the, the 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 you know the fact that the laws have become much much more draconian and and we don't know where it's going to go. I mean, there could be terror in Russia as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was right away when this thing broke out. If, if, yeah, I know. We yeah. you know
0: when Saddam Hussein was defeated in the Gulf War, uh, you know he managed and you know, after the invasion of Kuwait, he managed to hold on to power with the help of mass terror. Yeah. so we could we could see something like that i mean i wouldn't count on i mean oh, you know our intelligence services no but uh uh i i i wouldn't be confident of that
1: mm. well there there was there was another thing i wanted to run by you these yep. guys have a great podcast that talks to a lot of figures in military and intelligence called the team house and uh-huh. there there's a very interesting clip they had because they've been They've had, at least in some of the podcasts I've seen and stuff, like they've had some people who are knowledgeable about what's going on and everything and have spoken about the importance of of defending Ukraine and stuff like that. But they just had a dude in who is on the front lines in Ukraine. I'm going to read what they wrote here, but he was – he's basically like training soldiers. On on the front lines with some of the weapons that are being supplied from the West and everything, and I'm going to play the video in our ears and it's it's up behind you there. But he had some interesting things to say because this is a man who supports what's going on over there. I mean he's on literally the front lines like helping with it but also sees a little bit of the nuance of of some of the, the issues with some people on the Ukrainian side. And, and I see something like this and I worry about this. Becoming more of a norm, and then a a fight like this losing all support. On, let me play it. And by the way if if i if you guys hear a skip and we're just talking about this, it's because it's copyright and I can't play it. So the video I will post in the description, but I, I think we should be able to play this in the corner of the screen, so I'll play it now.
2: It's a corrupt, fucked up society let mm. you know so I'm not I'm not a big fan of uh, Ukraine. Oh, what is that this is uh, buffalo trace um, oh, okay and the, and the ukrainians are in violation of um, the Hague convention they, they there is a I forget the exact phraseology but it is we we looked at this closely and it's uh yeah they they should be no filming of uh the, the phrase the the terminology is bringing attention blah 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 to media um and yes the ukrainians are violating that you know i absolutely there's they and and there are they're filming of a number of things that they're doing with uh uh p o w s is violating law of law of armed conflict and he can't guys right Killing the Russian prisoners is right, and it's interesting because in the past, in you know, you know, you like Latin America or whatever,
1: if U.S. Uh, forces or employees were involved with any force that committed, you know, yeah. war atrocities or, right or whatever, back, right? you have to, yeah, yeah you're yeah. done. Yeah, but
2: we're obviously not going to pull our support from Ukraine at this. Well, point, I mean, yeah, to, I mean, you know. These violations. Oh, it's atrocities. No, yeah. I mean it still is. I mean, you, you shouldn't kill. You shouldn't kill dudes who, I mean, everyone knows who surrendered. I mean, um, and, the, and the, there was plenty of that. But my point is, it's not about Ukraine. We're not like. I happen to have, you know, Ukraine flag tied to my bag, but I'm not. Oh my God, Ukraine's so awesome. No, because it's. I understand that there are plenty of fucked up people running Ukraine. It's not about that. It's about global norms, right? Right,
1: right. So what this guy's guy's saying is that, you know, he still, in spite of some of the things he sees, he sees the bigger picture here and sees the threat that an illegal invasion has had from a much bigger nation. But it's almost, it struck me as he's frustrated that Western narratives don't at least point out that like, hey, while we're doing this... Let's help fix some of the situation in Ukraine. He's not necessarily talking about Zelensky or anything, but in some of the legacy corrupt things that happen there. And it does tie all back to some things I at least mentioned earlier where, you know, you're seeing videos that it's like I feel like they're working against themselves, putting them out. I'm not just talking about like the Sean Penn stuff. I'm talking about some of the things he's saying where they're showing some of these images of war. And again, they're they're attacking back against an aggressor, but you know it does feel like there have been some violations of some internet, as he laid out, of some some international agreements on the rules of war and rules and engagement. So you know, should there be more of a message to maybe even from our end to get to a guy like Zelensky and say, "Hey, chill with with you know being so bendy with 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 some of these agreements because you're going to lose Western support if you keep doing that."
0: Well, this is a situation we always face when we're uh, backing a country that is, to put it mildly, imperfect. Uh, it was the same with the Vietnam War. We 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 were very up, upset about South Vietnamese corruption and uh, human rights abuses, and that was before the boat people, before the Cambodia, before the millions of victims that 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 followed the collapse of South Vietnam uh and so the the fact is that uh the shooting of prisoners if that's indeed going on and it wouldn't surprise me if it were uh is not uh different i mean that the russians are also shooting prisoners yes and that they are committing they are in committing war crimes on occupied territory yes uh, the, 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 everything began because Ukraine was attacked, not a single prisoner, a, a soldier would have been killed, not a single photograph would have been taken, not a single uh, a, abuse would have ever been registered if there'd been no war, but, and it wasn't Ukraine that started the war and the and the and the overall principle has to be understood. I mean, yeah, you can you can focus on those things, but it doesn't and it, and it, it is true that Ukraine was a very corrupt country. I don't know what the situation is now under the wartime conditions. But uh, Russia was was as corrupt if not more so. And what we're what we're dealing with is a fundamental principle of international relations and world security that you just don't attack your a a neighboring country and try and take it over and 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 it's not ukraine that by the way that's bombing civilian infrastructure or 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 attacking apartment blocks in uh in in russia it's russia that's doing that yeah so i mean i i would not you know i would not treat that as a particular those facts as you know they're they're good to know they're not relevant to the question of who to support
1: yeah i and and i I do think that's fair i the reason I bring it up is is because of the people who are paying attention to this lesson are seeing this as an annoyance, and then you know they hear tidbits here and there you know they they're not fully educated on everything that's going on because it is a very imperfect world and you are no matter who your friend is in the world including with looking inward at your own country you're always going to have elements that are not good there is no place that is even remotely close to perfect so I don't I don't want to hold Ukraine to that standard but I think I'm like a lot of other people where I'd like to see peace and and no war and and I'd like to not have the threat of you know some psychos hitting some red buttons hanging over. And until we see some sort of resolution here, that is a continuing hanging threat. And I think that's very dangerous for humanity. But that all said, I really appreciate you coming in here again. It's a pleasure.
0: I'm always glad to see you, Julian. Glad to participate.
1: And and I I appreciate you coming up here to do it both times. Last time you even came in from like France and then by way of New York. So I, I... that That was a great episode, and people had asked for you back and and I think your perspective is amazing and, and unique. and so so long as this thing may unfortunately go on, I, I think bringing you through to to fill in the blanks on not only some of the things going on, but the history behind everything and why it matters from a precedent perspective as, as you got to do a lot today is is awesome for our listeners to get and and I just really appreciate you doing it. Oh, thank you. And where, where can everyone – you have an article that when this well, is released is coming oh, f- out in Wall Street Journal?
0: Well, Friday, if, if uh, I, I would ask people who are interested to pick up the Wall Street Journal, I've got an article about 100 years of the Soviet Union.
1: Got it. And you're, you've written six books, is it? Is that right?
0: Five, but a sixth is coming because the fifth book is a collection of my articles, and now the publisher wants a second volume of of articles
1: and it's going to be a, more collections then of yeah stuff that will from but, but i'm
0: working on a, a, a seventh book
1: and what's that going to cover
0: that's going to be a history of russia after the fall of communism
1: Ooh, okay i'm in for that one we'll, definitely, right. we'll, oh, we'll sure. promote that one when it's coming out for All right. short. but mr Satter, thank you and i will see you again
0: thank you julian take All care right. everybody
1: right. else you know what it is give it a thought get back to me peace